I just got a Mojave alert from Skype asking me to use my microphone. So hopefully it actually works. You're doing this on Mojave. Uh, you know what they say about, uh, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You are very brave. (laughs) I do have Mojave installed, but I have it installed on an external USB drive for my iMac. That Uh, was the smart way to go about things. Honestly, it's been, it's been pretty solid. It is I've just run into, yeah. It and iOS 12 both. I've been impressed. Yeah. I think there is something to the sort of a focus on bug fix stability type stuff. I mean, both, you know, uh, Federighi said it on stage at WWDC for iOS. It was the first thing he mentioned about iOS 12. Um, uh, German had a leaked, uh, sort of engineering staff meeting from months ago, uh, where this was brought up. And I think it kind of shows in these betas, especially the fact that both of them are both Mac and iOS are both sort of universally held up as far as I can tell, as some of the most stable WWDC betas in memory. Yeah, I mean, I can I can definitely attest to that. Uh, I considering I don't know how long have you been running betas on your on your phone because I feel like I've been doing it at least since 2012, 2011, uh, and usually it's like the first month just sucks. Yeah, <laughs> like you just say goodbye to that phone really working in the interest of playing around or in, you know, in our case, writing about new features. <laughs> well, and the WWDC build ones are all bad for, for off, notoriously bad for two reasons. One, it's they're the first ones that come outside Apple. And second, there's a hard and fast date. They have to, we're at, at some yeah. point, <laughs> at some point on Sunday, you know, the day before the keynote that they've got to say, this is the GM build, you know, uh, you know, we know about X, Y, and Z, but hey, these things are, you know, Craig or Phil or somebody is going to stand on stage and say, this is going to be available after the keynote. And so it's going to be available after the keynote. So it's understandable. Yeah, we kind of have to lock it. Did you read the uh, the Watch OS 5 release notes? Because those, those are excellent. No, I did not. Tell me about that. The, de- the developer release notes, uh, which I don't think are behind the the firewall so hopefully i'm not breaking well, there's an NDA no, to there's talk no about nda it, but, anymore no yeah I, that's true I, that's I, true no screenshots nda right but yeah but the developer release notes are essentially like this doesn't work this doesn't work walkie talkie's not in this build yet uh don't try sending apple pay uh to your friends via messages on your apple watch because it's not going to work uh if you try this specific combination of things on your apple watch you'll probably kernel panic it it was just like a a long list of like be careful about this don't do this uh if you're going to do this do it this way And I'm like, yeah, this is this in combination with the fact that the watch is uh, pretty much impossible to reset if you brick it. Uh, People wonder why the watch doesn't have a public beta. And I'm like, well, this this is a great reason why the watch is still I mean, again, we can get to WWDC news soon, but uh, the watch in general is still such a pain in the ass to update at all. Like. It, it, it's gotten better. Like the first time, like it has. The, like with the original watch, the first time there was a software update, I was convinced it was bricked. I was like, there is no possible way <laughs> that this this slow spinner around the outside, you know, like spinning it to complete a circle is supposed to take this long. And I'm like, look, it's stuck. It's stuck. It's stuck at like seven o'clock. And I like put my finger at the tick mark where it was and just waited for it to move just one more tick. And then finally it moved. I was like, okay, it's not stuck. And then it like completes the circle. 
the screen goes black and then it starts another circle. And it's yeah, like, and oh, it the secondary circle. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, now I'm really screwed. <laughs> so it's way better than it was then, but it still takes seemingly so long. It, it just seems like there's never a good time to like update your watch unless you, you know, and, and it's like, you kind of have to babysit it and it has to be on a charger. And, uh, you know, I tend to keep my charger up in the bedroom and it's the only place I really need one on a regular mm-hmm. basis. And I'm like, I don't want to go up to the bedroom. I, like there's gotta be a watch charger around here somewhere. And no, I can't find one. If only Apple had released that, that air power charging station, then you could have just charged your watch. Oh, well, I just, linked. Uh, did you see that? I just linked to that. No, <laughs> I just right before we started the show, I just I just posted it. That's like you're you're we're in sync. I just posted an item on Daring Fireball. Uh, where the heck is AirPod, AirPower? <laughs> oh uh, my gosh, I I just assume it just got lost in in the move to Apple Park. It's in a box somewhere, and they're like, <laughs> oh, our final design proofs. We want to approve them, but they're they're yeah. all buried. <laughs> I don't know. Something is. Uh, I I don't want to go deep on it, but I mean, something clearly I think has gone very wrong with that product. Yeah. Well, I mean it's a it's a tricky one, right? Because supporting supporting the iPhone is a pretty standard like cut and dry thing because of the standards and everything else. Um but they really kind of I feel like they bit off a couple of extra things where they're like and it's going to work with the software so that your iPhone will tell you all of the things that are charging and it's going to charge the watch with no extra fiddly diddly bits and we're going to release a new AirPods case that's going to work with it. Right. I'm just like maybe Maybe you start with just saying it's going to charge the iPhone and it can charge two iPhones at once. And then you add the extra things because I think the extra things are probably getting like my my pet theory now is that air power is going to come out with the watch, the series four watch. And they're just going to say it's series four and above because Mm. trying to get it to work with the series three has been such a pain. Like, that's just my pet. Like, I have no inside information on this, but it's just my pet theory of like. It's probably the watch. If it, if I had to guess anything, it's probably the watch that's screwing know. everything. My up. fear is that they're like uh, they've got like okay production units, and they're like, all right, let's go through the testing, and you know, set up a hundred of them, and like two phones catch on fire. <laughs> oh my like, god! I don't know. It's like I, I don't know. It just <sighs> seems I, I don't know. It just I I don't know. It's a weird one. <laughs> it's a very it's a very weird one, especially. They haven't really, they never released a like, this will be out later, right? Because they've done that on some products before where they're like, we know we said this, but it's going to be out a little bit later. I don't remember them doing it for AirPower. Uh, the worst production miscues that I can remember, the single worst one I can remember is the white iPhone 4. The white iPhone 4, yeah. Right, that was my first one too. Didn't come out, it was supposed to come out, or the black one came out at the end of June. And that was mm-hmm. the last phone that came out at the end of June because the 4S was the first one that moved to, to the fall. Well, it actually moved to October. Yeah, it, that's right. Oh, that's uh, true. Um, but I think it was supposed to be September, uh, you know, and it was just held up. But uh, the white iPhone 4 didn't ship until, I think, late April, possibly even early May. So it was at least like nine months late, might have been 10 months late. Um and even though even though it was 10 months late it wasn't like the new ones came out 2 months later but we didn't know that you know yeah <laughs> so that was the one year where amy didn't get a new iphone cuz she definitely wanted the white one so she was waiting for it and then she by just the time sat it, on her hands yeah, yeah by the time she came out she was like i'm not buying a year old phone i mean that's for <laughs> $800 it's ridiculous she knows better yeah so that yeah, was well, a bad one i mean and that was really bad 
That was bad. HomePod had a delay, but the delay was pretty well communicated, I think. Yeah. And yeah. Home, you know, AirPods mm-hmm. were a little That's right. Late. You know, yeah. but they, they did make it before the end of the year. I mean, you could, you know. Just barely. Like right. one one production line made it before the end of the year, and right. then they kind of eased up in, what, February? But that's yeah. no, that's that's the Nintendo playbook, right? right? Like, it's no different than a lot of other manufacturers. We're just, it feels weird to us because Apple is not usually one of these companies that's like, we're not going to hit our shipping deadline. Right. Like And so to, to see them do it, just, I don't know whether it instills fear or if it's just a profound head scratching, like, what is going on? Yeah, I don't know. So I don't know. I hope for Apple's sake, they get it out before the September event. I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> you know how, like, they shipped the uh, Air Power 2 update, like, literally one week before WWDC? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I kind of expect, like, okay, here's Air Power one week before the <laughs> iPhone announcement. <laughs> I don't know. Thank God. We're going to have to start a betting pool on this. Like how many people think it'll be released before or how many people think it'll be released after and only with WatchOS 4 or WatchOS 4, Watch Series 4 support. If they just really just go try to, you know, go full uh, denial, like air power. What's that? (laughs) That was never a product. Uh, They just scrub it from the keynote. Right. We've always been at war with East Asia. Exactly. It's totally. Uh, <laughs> oh my God! I'm drawing a blank on his name. What's his name? Uh, um, author of 1984. Oh, no. uh, Orwell. <laughs> Orwell. Jeez, how, I'm losing it here, Serenity. Full Orwell. It's only on Wednesday. It. It's only Wednesday, John. I know it's like WWDC was still recent, yeah. but get some uh, sleep. Uh, I tell you what. I always i it, the I always forget how hard it is for me, at least, to catch up after WWDC uh, mm-hmm. because, and I think it's the right way to do it, but I, I'm generally off and it's a combination of things like Mondays, the, the keynote day is just crazy for me. Cause it's just keeping up. And it's always funny to me. This has been the case ever since I started going to WWDC where I always feel like, like one of the least informed people who follows Apple all day on Wednesday where like, you know, uh, I'll be meeting someone, you know, like at six o'clock and they'll be like mentioning something, you know, that wasn't in the keynote, but, and it's like big news. And I'm like, what? They announced that. And they're like, yeah, that came out at like, you know, they, that, that came out at like noon. And it was like, what? I, I had no idea. Like, I feel like I'm in this huge information vacuum where I'm just locked into what was in the keynote and trying to get all the details on it. Then Tuesday now in recent years, I'm all consumed by my live show. Mm-hmm. And then by Wednesday, I'm trying to be social because it's like Tuesday and Monday. I was totally like I was Monday. I'm locked into like the keynote and briefings Tuesday. I'm I'm in my uh, panic vacuum <laughs> preparing for the show. And then Wednesday, you know, I try to be sociable. And Thursday, I just try to, you know, hang out and see people and bump into people and not be on the computer. And then I wind up with, you know, usually I wind up most weeks with a lot of unread emails, but it's nothing like WWDC week. WWDC week, I feel like, is the week where all of my normal computing talents just go to hell. Because, like you said, it's like there's so much – the 
The joy of going to WWDC is talking to people in person and making those connections that you might not otherwise yep. make. And especially if you have the pass, like being able, like I had the, I had a dev pass for the first time this year. And so I was like the, the few moments of free time I had, I was like, all right, got to go check out these sessions. Got to go talk to these developers. Got to go like, you know, listen to these engineers, talk about pencil support and all of these things. Got to go talk with ADA winners. Got to go podcast in the fancy podcasting room. And then before you know it, it's Friday morning and you're like, holy crow, did I really like go through four days of appointments that were like 7 a.m. to 11 p.m.? Like you kind of blink and and then you look at your computer or Twitter. Twitter's the worst, especially on, I feel like, on keynote day because, you know, like I, I know you don't really live blog it so much. Um, no, but no, like the opposite, I'm, really. Yeah. You just like take it in. I take it in by live blogging for I'm more. So I'm like, I basically turn off my main feed and just focus on like writing for about two hours straight uh, and then leave Twitter alone while I'm like running around and get talking to people and and digging into those betas so I can find out about that weird feature you you hear about on on Monday afternoon or Monday evening. Uh, and then by the time I actually touch Twitter again, it's like, 1500 new tweets and normally normally i would just declare twitter bankruptcy and just you know if i like i've done this before where i've gone on derby tournaments right and i come back and i'm like i don't want to read this weekend stuff but monday i feel an like an obsessive need to go through this in the hopes of like someone will have spotted something that i missed usually like this year it was really just like all right Steve Trotton Smith, Steve Trotton Smith, like Guillermo Rambo, Steve Trotton Smith. Uh, no, but like there, it's really helpful, at least for me on Mondays, to like go through that and find what other people have grabbed while like researching various things because it allows me to put together like the full picture. But it also means that I'm reading 1,500 tweets at like 11 p.m. on Monday, and yeah. then I don't get to sleep until two, and then I have a thing on at 6:30 the next morning. So it's uh yeah the bank the email bankruptcy the like feeling of just your tech is completely killing you slowly is a is a very real one. I find that I, I really am. I know some people might might think I'm exaggerating, but I truly am a preposterously bad email person i i really should uh, i really should hire someone i trust to to have full access to my email i really should have like an assistant who i trust to literally have access to all of my email and to go through and read it every day and and at least call out anything that's like holy crap you really you know this one's important uh Mm. uh, because i'll I'll just go days and there'll be like truly important emails (laughs) 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 uh well, if something was really important, I feel like they would find a way to get in contact with oh. you via text. That's kind of how I've like lived my life for the last nine months is like, if someone hasn't pinged me on Slack or on iMessage, it's probably not that like, it's probably not life threateningly important. Uh, and for all of the things, there's the VIP box, but imagine, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> imagine, imagine that you're searching for something else in email and <laughs> You've, you know, how you're searching for something and you know how mm-hmm. like you get like a weird list and it might contain things you don't think. And I yeah. see something totally unrelated to what I'm looking for, but the from address is, um, let's say a very famous person <laughs> 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 who everybody's listening to the show knows exactly who they are and that this person sent me a very complimentary and kind email 
and it was five months old. Oh no! <laughs> and I never saw it. <laughs> That's the, that, that happened to me about a week ago, uh, <laughs> and you don't get a second email. <laughs> about something like that no like so urgent emails yes somebody will figure out a way to get it uh important emails not always but i'm very bad at it but one reason i've gotten worse at it is because of twitter and and it's because i love how if i do want to catch up on twitter and for me, I never catch up on my timeline. It's impossible. I, I've year, many, many years ago realized I, I, Twitter was more better for me if I just follow more people than I could ever hopefully complete. But I do try to be a completionist or near completionist on mentions to at Gruber and at Daring Fireball. Mm-hmm. And I sort of treat them like email. Like, uh, you know, if, if you can fit like a comment to me about like a Daring Fireball article in a Twitter mention, um, and you're willing to, you know, obviously that's public, not private. You know, you're way, you're, you're ten times more likely for me to actually read it if you do it on Twitter than if you send it as an email. But part oh, yeah. of it is that all I have to do is scroll, and I'm a really good reader, and I don't have to open anything. I just scroll and I read, and there's never anything to open. And I know that there are mail clients that are more timeliney, you know, and and. But it's still like just the nature of email and and this this in hindsight sort of insane practice of uh-huh. quoting entire messages and that the chains of email contain the previous emails. Uh, it just makes it so much harder. It's like you're in, you scroll the email, then you go back. And it, it just seems so much more of an uphill process, you know, fighting upstream. Whereas catching up on Twitter, it might take a while. It might be like, wow, I am way behind. But at least it feels like I'm swimming downstream. And- well, you're actually – it's helpful because Twitter, you know, even with the expanded character limit, Twitter is still short, right? Yeah. Like there there are emails in my inbox right now that are like seven paragraphs long. Right. And, right. you know, like you can't – if it, if you're given the choice between reading one email that's seven paragraphs long or finishing 20 tweets that yeah. are, you know, 140 to 240 characters long, like the who am I going to improve their life or like right. be able to help people? It's far more likely that I'm going to be do, able to do it on Twitter than like read this email and like feel you know, usually emails that are that long are like how to's or questions or things like that. And like I feel for this person, but I'm also like the answer that you're looking for is basically an article. Like I can't, I want to help you, but instead of like actually being able to help you in email, I'm literally going to take your question and then I'm going to write an article about it because that's the only way I could figure out how to actually do it if I have the time, right? Right. It's just, I I will say this. I owe Twitter an apology or I should, I should write about this on Dairy Fireball, but I'll get it off my chest here on the show first is that when they first switched from 140 to 280, I was against it. Uh, publicly, I thought this was a bad idea, and that the the terseness of 140 was uh, essential to what made Twitter Twitter. Um, and getting your thoughts into 140 truly is a, a an art. And like a couple of the other people who I retweeted as being opposed to this were unsurprisingly well known writers: uh, J.K. Mm-hmm. Rowling. Uh, Stephen King. I mean, there, there you go. J.K. Rowling and Stephen King. I mean, there's probably the two most successful and and talented writers of the last uh, of my lifetime. Um, 
and both, you know, pretty much, I don't know, maybe Stephen King retweeted J.K. Rowling, I don't know, but they were in complete agreement that it's, you know, there, there was a certain genius to it. But you know what? Not everybody is as talented as J.K. Rowling or Stephen King. Uh, and I have to admit, it, now living with the 280 limit now for, for months, it hasn't wrecked Twitter, and I use it. For weeks, I, stub I stubbornly <laughs> insisted on only tweeting up to 140 characters and, like, doing the math, like, looking at my little character counter, and if it went over 140, even though I could hit post, I would not. And then I gave up on that, realized I was being stubbornly silly. Uh, and it's good. It is a good thing. Uh, it's, but yeah. 280 is a really interesting limit, like... Uh, boy, if everybody who sent email to me tried to keep it under 280 characters, it would, I'd be a lot, I'd, I'd have a lot fewer unread emails. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's a good size. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm with you, honestly, I was a little bit skeptical of the increase in character limit at first, but I find myself using it constantly yeah. again for like, for the bite sized things that I don't necessarily want to write in full posts, right. but it's really, it's especially during keynote time and live blogging or, yeah. or commenting on somebody else's post. It just, it makes it so much easier for me to be like point, getting my point across rather than uh, what I used to do in the 140 character limit, which is like really cool article, fascinating read. Like that's not really helpful. But when I actually get to talk about the article and be like, wow, this portrayal of AI is a really interesting, like look into both our political mindset and where we are right now. Like that, yeah. that actually, I, I feel like maybe that gets more people to read it. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Um, or the other thing I run into a lot, I don't think I get close to 280 a lot, but the thing I notice a lot is, I'll, I'll think I'll have like a, a thing. All right. I'm not going to post it to during fireball, but I want to tweet this link and I'll think mm. of something to say about it. And I'm like, whew, under 140, And then there's no room for the URL. And it's like, yeah. uh, geez, uh, what am I? And then you start butchering your stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> start and sometimes that leads to a better tweet, but sometimes. most times it just leads to you taking out context. Right. Or, or spelling the word, especially ESP dot, you know, and all of a sudden it looks like you're jotting shorthand. Mm -hmm. you know. um, all right. Anyway, I'm going to take a break here. Thank our first sponsor. It's our good friends at Casper. Casper is a sleep brand who makes ex expertly designed products to help you get your best rest one night at a time. Casper products are cleverly designed to mimic human curves, providing supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. The original Casper mattress combined multiple supportive foam memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right amount of both sink and bounce. Uh, their breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. Now, Casper offers two other mattresses now. They've got the Wave and the Essential. The Wave features a patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. That's their premium mattress. And then the Essential has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. Uh, we just got a Wave. We've had an original Casper for, for a long time. Um, we just got a Wave. We paid full retail for it. This isn't you know, like a free thing. We happily paid for it. Uh, we love it. It is a fantastic mattress. We also got uh, some of the other Casper products. We have some of their pillows. Uh, we just got their comforter. And I'll tell you what. Switching from an old comforter where the filling has sort of shifted around over the years to a brand new one 
from Casper really does. I know they, they keep saying and in the talking points here say that they, you know, their stuff helps you regulate your body temperature while you sleep. But I'll tell you what, I really have noticed that it's true that I don't wake up way too hot. Um, as often as I used to with an old comforter. Um, this stuff is really true. It, I really do uh, sleep on this stuff. Uh, Casper has affordable prices on all of their products because they cut out the middleman and sell directly to you. And they have hassle-free returns if you're not completely satisfied and free shipping and returns in the U.S. and our friends up in Canada. So you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night sleep-on-it trial. Uh, it's a great product. I really recommend you check it out. And what you can do is you can get 50 bucks off towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash talk show. No the, just talk show. And then remember that promo code, talk show at checkout. Uh, terms and conditions apply. But remember, just go to casper.com slash talk show and remember that promo code talk show and you will save 50 bucks towards select mattresses. My thanks to Casper for their continuing support of the talk show. All right. So here's the thing. What WWC, I got to get this off my chest. There's <laughs> <laughs> you, okay. you went around San Jose all day. Now you say you were busy. You, you must've been, but there's, I'll put this tweet in the show note, but you really did. <laughs> you rode around San Jose wearing roller skates. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. Second year in a row. <laughs> Uh, do you think that works? That works in San Jose in a way that it wouldn't work in San Francisco, I think. Oh, completely, completely. Um, for one thing, because the sidewalks and just in general, the, the streets are a lot cleaner and, and flatter than yeah. they are in San Francisco. Like I think about, uh, I think about the, where I used, you know, I used to stay at park, uh, park 53 for many years, uh, park 55. five, park 55. I don't know where 53 came out <laughs> anyway, park 55. Yeah. I used to stay up there and I just think about like the big, the giant like brick <laughs> plaza that you have to cross. Yeah. And know. I'm just like, no, I would die. Like I can skate on bricks, but I, that, that does not seem like an enjoyable way to get around. That seems like torturing my feet. Yeah. Uh, or whatever you'd have to do to get that safely down a, a pretty yeah. steep hill with roller skates. Oh, my skates. God. I, you know, I have I have skated in San Francisco before on roller skates, and it was really not pleasant because yeah. at the time I didn't really even know how to stop properly with edges. So yeah. I was constantly like rolling down the hill and then turning backwards to try and use like a backwards toe stop while I'm like halfway propped on. Anyway, needless to say, not a good experience. I vastly prefer San Jose. Um. <laughs> <laughs> It's an interesting way to get around. San Jose is interesting <laughs> as a pedestrian because most of it is eminently pedestrian friendly. Low traffic, oh, yeah. flat. Uh, a lot of the streets in the, in the area are almost no traffic. Um, but like the main street, the one that the convention center is on, what is that? I don't even know what the name of it. Is it Market Street? I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's either Market or San something. Yeah, the, and, and that corner... Uh, like past the Marriott. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, like between the Marriott and the building where the, the California theater is, is yeah. one of the worst pedestrian uh, intersections I've ever seen in my entire life. It's so the, weird. <laughs> the lights take forever. The street is incredibly wide. Apple obviously got them to shut it down 
with police cars for the keynote day, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, I mean, that's they. It just, I, I'm sure because it's just too dangerous to handle a crowd. It's just a terrible, terrible intersection. And then you combine that with the fact that there's high speed trains that go through the middle. <laughs> Not like trolleys, not trolleys, like actual trains. And I sit there. I'm not above jaywalking on on a street that seems jaywalking friendly. That's an East Coast thing, you know. But you just you develop a sixth sense of this is a street where, look, if there's no cars coming, you can just go. It doesn't matter what the light Mm -hmm. says. Not that street. Right, I mean that street has too many variables. Right, and there are the like trains, there the car, the, the turning cars. The, and you, you see a bunch of you know obvious WWDC types or alt comfort type, you know. But somebody is here for the for the WWDC, uh, you know, overall experience, and they're mm-hmm. like talking to each other and they're looking at each other and they're just like crossing the street and it's like you guys are, <laughs> you guys have like a ten percent chance of getting steamed by a train. <laughs> Well, especially, you know, I, and I was guilty of this a little bit, um, but especially walking around a lot of people looking at their phones while oh, crossing yeah. the street. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> or the same thing. Right. You see somebody crossing yeah. that street with the phone and it is like, you, buddy, you're taking your life in your hands. Yeah. Or noise canceling headphones on. I'm just like, no, no. Of all the places to walk around right. with noise canceling headphones, the place with the giant train tracks where the trains come very erratically and yep. don't sound very loud to begin with. Nope. Did you uh, ride the scooters? I did not ride the scooters. I was very like I kept on looking at them. Uh, like oh, the one the one day that I wasn't skating, I was like, hmm, I could get to so 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 much faster if I if I got a scooter. So uh, and then it was just downloading the app. I did it a couple of times. Uh, okay. not, not too many, but it because it I going from my hotel to the. the convention center was wasn't far enough to really justify it uh mm. and to get to the convention center I, I had to cross that market street or whatever the hell it's called and it's it just takes all the you know all the fun out of it yeah um but they're pretty cool i've heard this story this is like a total thing that's it's happened in california and maybe a couple other cities since last year like last year there were no <laughs> scooter startups and now there are a couple of competing uh, many million dollar funded scooter startups, which sounds ridiculous. And I'd heard these stories that these scooter startups, they, they have, you know, they're the two in San Jose, at least were lime L I M E like the fruit and bird. And they buy a bunch of electric scooters. They put them all over the city. Uh, you get their app and sign up so that that's how they charge you. And then when you want to ride one, it's sort of like in a locked state. You use their app, you scan a QR code on the bike or the scooter that you want. And it, you know, identifies this is scooter, you know, one, two, three, four. Okay. It's unlocked for you. You pay something like, I don't know, 35 cents a minute or 30, I don't know, some reasonably low price. I forget how they charge. Um, and you just get on and go. Uh, and then when you're done, you just leave it wherever you don't have to find this is, this is the part that, that seemed silly to me when I first heard the story, but it is absolutely true. It's not like with the bikes, you know, like city bike and stuff like that, which, you know, the U S has had for years where there are, uh, kiosks around the city, like Philadelphia has them and, and you have to mm. find one. And then that's where the bike, you know, you put the bike in it and it's like a special bike holder that is from the company. And then you put it in there and it locks up. No, with these scooters, you just abandon them wherever you want. <laughs> just tell the app that the app, tell the app I'm done. And it locks back up. 
and the city's sidewalks are literally just riddled with random $500 electric scooters everywhere. Mm -hmm. They're everywhere. And people, a lot of people are extremely (laughs) inconsiderate about (laughs) how they park these things. (laughs) Right. It is kind of, it it is, they look like, it looks like the city is littered with scooters. And so I really was set to, I mean, the whole idea, scooter is just a silly word. And and the fact that they really no exaggeration they this I mean they're just right in the middle of the pedestrian sidewalk it's just crazy there somebody left one at my hotel that was in the driveway like so like if you were driving up to get you know to like do valet parking at the hotel you would have to like get out of your car and move the scooter. <laughs> to get up to the driveway like who thought that was a good place to leave a scooter like it's crazy but i have to say it is incredibly cheap and they are extremely fun to ride i mean really really fun because they go uh <laughs> quite frankly dangerously fast <laughs> they're really fun so i didn't ride one in san jose but i actually own an electric scooter like an early generation electric scooter that um, I got after a CES uh, as a, as a, you know, a my more thing. Um, and I have this video. Um, if I, I think I have it up online and I'll give it to you to put in the show notes if okay. you really want. But I it's, uh, yeah, it's literally my now husband and I, I was like, well, we're in, you know, suburban Boston area. And I'm like, there's no real way to place to ride this effectively. So I'm like, we're just going to ride it up and down our like slightly slanted street and see how fast we can go, uh, which seemed like a great idea at the time. Uh, and mostly it's just incontrollable screaming <laughs> where we're just like, what? <laughs> like, you just don't expect it to go that fast. <laughs> like I- you're, you're thinking, oh, it's like a, it's like, um, what was the original the razor it's like yeah. a razor scooter with a little bit of extra no yes, no this thing has a has a deep motor in it like i think right. mine can go up to like 20 miles an hour that's or something things, and i'm like that's yeah that's, that's what these things fast. claim and i believe it i really do it's it's almost hard it was almost hard to max out the speed because it it's just hard to find that much open space before you get to another street you know there's just a not a stoplight right. yeah um I was totally expecting something more like a razor with a bit of help, you know, so that you don't have to kick so much. But it's like, no, these <laughs> things really go. And it's funny, too, the two competing apps uh, or companies, I guess, Lime and Bird. Lime and Bird. I forget which one is which, but one of them, I think Lime, I, I but I could be getting it backwards. One of them, you sign up and they more or less are just like, what's your email? Um I forget even how they charged me. I don't think I'm, I didn't put a credit card in. I don't know if they're just charging through the app and paying Apple the 30%. Um, you know, what's your email? Here's our terms and agris- uh, conditions. Say you agree. Okay. And then the other one clearly has lawyers who are more involved. And it's like, you've got to go through and check one by one. And it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it is like, I totally, it's like, I understand that I need to wear a helmet is like the first thing you have to check off. <laughs> and of course, nobody has no a helmet. No one wears a helmet. Right, because if you're it's carrying... covering ar- their butts. <laughs> Once you're carrying around a helmet, you might as well just carry around your own scooter. You know, like the whole... F- half the fun of it is the abandonment. I came up with, I think, the perfect analogy. It was bothering me for the first day or two. I was like, this way that you just grab one when you want one. You just grab one. You don't look for a kiosk. You just find one and grab it. Uh, and and then get on it and go, and then you get to where you want to go and just jump off it. It was like this reminds me of something. And like Tuesday, it hit me. 
uh, it's Grand Theft Auto. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The whole idea in Grand Theft Auto (laughs) is that whenever you need a car, you just find one, open the door, pull whoever's in it out (laughs) and take their car. And then you go somewhere. And when you get there, you don't even have to stop the car. You just kind of like do like a rolling stop, roll out of the car, let it crash (laughs) into the sidewalk (laughs) and then just go about your mission. It's exactly like that. Except in Grand Theft Auto, every time you take a car, you can drive it. Whereas with the scooters, it seems like one in three have like a dead battery. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, you know the story about the battery thing, too, right? Like the roaming battery rechargers. Yeah, we we saw one finally. And it was just a guy in a minivan. (laughs) And the app obviously gives him a map of where the ones are. He didn't have to, like, test them. But there's just a guy in a minivan. I, I presume... It, like the minivan wasn't labeled with bird or lime. It was just a guy. No. He, so I presume he worked for the company, either that or no, he was stealing. He doesn't. Them. He doesn't. So here's here's how this works. And this this blew my mind when I heard it is that the company actually does this Pokemon Go style and they offer up bounties like like um, charging oh, bounties. I didn't know so this. that if. Yeah. So if you if you want to earn a little bit of extra money like gig economy style, you can take one of the scooters, plug it in, and then they'll give you money based on how much you charge it and how many you charge. And if it's in a really weird location, they'll give you extra money to go and like retrieve it and charge it. Huh. So they're like crowdsourcing the uh, the, charging. the charging. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. All right, San Jose versus San Fran as the site for WWDC. I mean, it was word got around last year that it was not a temporary change, you know, that this mm-hmm. was, you know, and and as Apple has want to be, there was no official statement on it. <laughs> I mean, there's Just like no, it's here now. <laughs> there's actually no if you ask someone from Apple, you know, like as a member of the media on you know and say, "Is there going to be a WWDC 2019?" <laughs> You, you won't get a straight answer. Like they won't commit to it because they just can either confirm nor deny. Right? They just don't. You know, they don't talk about future products. Um, mm-hmm. But unsurprisingly, they were back at San Jose again. I think they. You know. You know, like any time you do something the second time, it it comes out a little bit better. Um, I didn't see the podcast studio this year because I had to leave a day earlier. Um. But I heard that the podcast studio, which was really nice last year, I heard that it was even better this year. Oh, it was so gorgeous. Um, Again, I will send you pictures to put in the show notes. But uh, that was my, again, first time being in the podcast studio because I didn't have a badge last year. I only had sort of the keynote pass. And they've just, they've taken over what would have been a kind of semi-ordinary like back room in the convention center and then top to bottom they've made like this beautiful hand cut styrofoam that has the podcast logo in it and all kinds of fancy acoustic things that i have no doubt that an apple audio engineer could talk to you about four hours about why that curve was exactly like on some euclidean geometry (laughs) scale to you know but it's like it's beautiful it's like a nice little lounge and then inside they've just basically built this cave out of styrofoam uh and then put a high top table with a bunch of micro like really high quality microphones and beat studio headphones of course Hmm. um with 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 cables on brand it wasn't yeah, exactly. They did not. They did not risk wireless connectivity, um, which you know, I, I guess that's fair. Uh, and uh, it was just, it was a really lovely experience. Uh, we got to sat. Renee and I sat down with the the folks from Agenda and talked to them right after they won their ADA. 
And it's just, you know, it's probably uh, next to like the old Macworld podcast studio. I don't know if you ever were in there. It's like this is one of the nicest yes, podcast studios ever been. Yeah, like the yeah. new one. When they when they redid it, it was like the Macworld studio was really nice. But this studio was uh, a good deal nicer. Like it definitely felt like we were one step away from being in a radio studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also makes me wonder about Apple's own podcast facilities. And I'm like... I don't know if Apple does podcasts internally, but uh, they certainly have the talent to do it. Like, <laughs> it would be really cool. Yeah, I did uh, Jim Dalrymple's show last year with Matt, along with mm. Matt Drantz, and uh, it was the first time I can ever remember doing a podcast that really felt like I was in a pro studio. Yeah, uh, because I, I've got some good equipment here. I, you know, I've, you know, it's all just. <laughs> I've told this before, but I just, I just asked Marco, I was like, just tell me, give me a shopping list to, to go buy. And he just sent me like a list of four <laughs> things. And I just, I didn't even like double check anything. I just like click, 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 buy, 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 add the card all at Amazon. Then now that's what I have. So it's good equipment. It, you know, it wasn't cheap. I mean, you know, I do this every week. I can, I can credibly say I'm, I'm a pro, um, this is a legitimate, significant part of my job. So, you know, I spent, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars. So I have good equipment, but yeah. I don't I don't podcast in an area that you would take a photograph of and say, that looks like a professional recording area. <laughs> it looks abs- actually completely opposite. It looks like... <laughs> It looks like something that I, like I'm in the midst of moving. <laughs> <laughs> it's not sound dampened. No, it's not, yeah. not really. Um, I understand. But that was really cool. Um, but there's just other things that they did that I feel like they're really finding their, you know, Apple is finding their, you know, this is how we can make WWDC work. It's um, their voice. Yeah. I, I have yeah. mixed feelings about it though. I, I, okay. I, 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 if I worked at Apple and my opinion count counted on should we stay in San Jose or go back to San Francisco, I would vote instantly stay in San Jose. I think it's the right. I think it's the right thing for WWDC. I think it's the right thing for Apple. But I have mixed feelings about it as an attendee because mm, I I, and so. I I feel like the city of San Jose is only in terms of like the service industry is only borderline competent and possibly <laughs> under under the under the the acceptable line for competence. Well, I mean, yes, I agree with you here. Uh but I have to like I'm trying to assume positive intent, right? And remember that San Jose really, I mean, the last 5 years is more it's a it's a city that shuts down at 6 p.m. Right. in most most places, right? It's designed to be a workers city. And then I don't know how much heads up they had about WWDC the first year, but to say that they were unprepared for the uh, glutton of uh, of people coming in is is calling it nicely. Uh, this year, it did feel a little bit better. I feel like things were open maybe a, a smidge later. Uh, you know, restaurants were maybe a little bit more uh, accommodating, but uh, right. overall, yeah. All right. So the late night thing aside, right? I get it. Yeah. It's a, it's it's not a late night city. Okay. I'm talking lunch on a weekday at a you know reasonable time. Yeah. Like, let's say around one o'clock, one thirty. Uh, my, my wife Amy and I went to for lunch with uh, a friend of the show, Paul Paul Cafasis. This was actually the day of my live show. Uh, we went to a cafe. Uh, where so we've you been were before. already stressed out. <laughs> we were, we've been before and I know they have, you know, the food is okay and you know, they have, they have good coffee. Um, 
and we place our order and I, I can't eat a lot before the show. I, I've, I, you know, I, so I just got, uh, I wanted to get just a bagel with cream cheese. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like we're out of bagels or no, I wanted an onion bagel or everything bagel. I wanted an everything bagel with cream cheese. And they said, we're out of everything bagels. And I said, all right, how about just a plain bagel? And then they said, we're out of bagels. <laughs> and I was like, all right, you could have started <laughs> Why didn't with you it. tell me that first? <laughs> and then they're like, well, we have English muffins. And I was like, fine, I'll take an English muffin. And they're like, do you still want the cream cheese? Now, I've never put cream cheese on an English muffin in my life, but I thought, sure, that's fine. Um, Amy got a, uh, like a panini. Um, I forget what Paul got, but uh, and then they gave us. I paid. We got our beverages, uh, and they have outdoor seating. And it was a beautiful day, so why not sit out outdoors right outside their door? They gave us like a little uh, placard that had like a number on it, like fifty-seven, right? Like a little tent, like a little tent that said fifty-seven on both sides. Now, I've been at places that give you something like that before, and every other place I've ever been where you get something like that, you take that placard, you put it on your table, and then when your order's ready, somebody picks it up, and then they look around for number 57, and then they drop it, they they take the food to table 57, and then they take the little placard away. Is that your understanding of how such a thing works? Yeah, in theory, that is how it's supposed to work. Yeah, at this establishment, they, they quote, have no table service. So like an hour after we had placed our 45 minutes, maybe after we'd placed our order, I went back in to check and they're like, oh yeah, we've been calling you from the inside. <laughs> right. It's just sitting on a counter behind the counter. And I, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, why did you give me, why did you give me this placard? And they said, so you'd know you were order 57. <laughs> I st- I'm not making this up. Amy went out. Okay. Amy went out on. I think maybe it was Monday. I forget, but I wasn't with her. Um, she went out for lunch, and it, she did get table service. I mean, you know, she placed an order, and her food came, and it came an hour and fifteen minutes after she ordered. Uh, I mean, it's just really, really bizarre. And and again, last year I was willing to cut some slack of we weren't ready. For, although they have, you would think that with a giant convention center, there would be other large conventions throughout the year. Um, but you would just think, hey, okay, this WWDC one, we're going to be busy. Uh, and there there seems to be no no awareness of that. So like no. just <laughs> getting a bite to eat like for lunch when you might be in a bit of a rush uh or maybe if you're not even in a rush because you have somewhere to go you're you're kind of want your food quickly because you, you haven't eaten all day and it's already close to two you know and now you're starving uh yeah you don't get that in san jose <laughs> no uh and i'm i'm hopeful that maybe the lunch crowd will maybe kick it up a notch, uh, presuming that there is a WWDC in 2019. But it's a problem that I feel like I like I just don't I just don't know. I feel Apple Apple is uh, neurotic enough to put, you know, banners all over the city and uh, really like shut down streets and things like that. And I'm like, I would think that they would also have somebody coordinating with the restaurant industry and being like, hello, you stand to make thousands of dollars. 
Maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you staff your restaurant correctly, maybe we'll even put it in a like list of great places to go. But you need to actually stay open. And I'm like, this is what I was hoping for last year, yeah. uh, and it didn't materialize. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna make the plea every year until it actually happens. It, because there, there are good restaurants in San Jose. They just, yeah. uh, they don't function for five thousand attendees. <laughs> um. So uh, last thing uh, before we get into the actual details of the announcements from last week, just the keynote itself, um, they staged it very differently. I I don't know. I think that they oriented the big room differently, but it certainly was a a much wider and less deep in terms of like the last row was closer to the stage than usual. and like, especially, I'm not quite sure because again, I was only at one before, so I'm not quite sure. Well, I don't quite remember what it was like last year, but I certainly remember the setup in um, Presidio, as Apple called yeah. it, the top floor of Moscone West, which was the same every year that I could remember. But it was super a, deep. Right, it's a deep theater. It is not that wide. It's only like three sections wide. Um. And very, very deep. And so, like, if you were in the back of Presidio, you really couldn't see the stage. You had to rely on the projectors that they would place, you know, at certain points, you know, like halfway back Mm -hmm. or two-thirds back. Whereas this was super wide, and they had, like, entirely new uh, screen technology. Yeah. like It was like Panavision, right? Oh, my God. uh... Like, super, super high-res, super bright very sharp and it went edge to edge in this inc- well not quite i mean but but effectively went edge to edge in this very wide uh room where people on the sides who maybe couldn't see the speakers on stage very well still had a big bright screen in front of them uh really an incredible staging i mean it really was impressive it was gorgeous and i really i appreciated how they used um we should say you know this big giant wide screen was actually three screens that were all able to be mm-hmm. controlled independently mm-hmm. um and i really appreciate how appreciated how they used it right they didn't just blow up and stretch everybody or throw the same image up on all three screens. They were really using the width, uh, which watching the keynote, I don't know if you've gone back and actually watched Apple's recording of it. No, but it's a little weird because uh, the, the recording focuses mostly on the center panel on the person Hmm. on stage. And in some ways, like the people who are watching the recording from home really didn't get how cool the staging and the setup was. Because yeah. you only see it like occasionally on the side. I, w- I was rewatching like the uh, the Apple Books presentation, and I'm they're like, and we call it Apple Books. And I was waiting for the Apple Books to appear above the speaker's head, and I was like, where is it? And then they cut to a different angle, and it was over on one of the right hand right. panels right. in this like big beautiful font. And I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Well, the one on the far on the right and the one on the left were the same. Right. Yes. And so if you're in the middle, you could choose whether you want to look to the right or look to the left. But if you were on the right or left, you'd see the one right in front of you, the right one and the center one. But you're right. It was almost like a two screen experience. Like and the only mm-hmm. real way to replicate it at home would be some kind of synchronized playback where you're like watching the main thing on your TV and have like an iPad next to you synchronized <laughs> playing the secondary screen. Um and and like you said, like being like Panavision or something, it was this incredible aspect ratio, like super, yeah. I don't know what the actual aspect ratio is. I'd love to know, but it was at least like, it's it seemingly like three to one. I mean, like, oh get your measure app out. Um, 
And I asked, and, and so like among little things, like they obviously were planning that all along, but so for like the opening mm-hmm. video where like a whole bunch of uh, like well-known developer types, uh, streaming. Yeah. Like the, and they're, you know, uh, parodying parodying a david attenborough uh video there's some debate over whether the narrator actually was david attenborough or not uh, and i never I, I never got to ask anybody and i was under the impression I, that yeah. it might have been but i don't know it was either attenborough or stephen fry All right. uh, was the was what i was getting off twitter yeah i should have asked somebody uh if only i <laughs> If only, I had, run if only into, you had connections. Yeah, if only I had connections and had spent time backstage with Greg Joswiak for 45 minutes and could have asked. Um, uh, but it's really incredible hearing about it. Did you see you did you see the section where the middle screen went out? Uh no. Oh. I don't I don't remember that. So during the section, and I, I, I don't have my notes in front of me, so I will not remember her name, but there was a blonde woman who was demoing the Memoji, Memoji, what's it called? Memoji. Right. During her Memoji demo, the middle screen flickered, it like glitched twice. And then on like the third glitch, it went out. It was out black. Uh, I don't know if she knew that because she wasn't facing the screen. Uh but it was clearly out, and you're, the only things you could see were on the sides. And I was like, oh, this is going to be exciting, because there was clearly a lot of keynote to go, and the mm-hmm. middle screen went out. Uh, what I've heard <laughs> is that the, the backstage technologists who were there you know, to, to you know, the, the, the red alert team, that something's gone wrong you know, to fix this, um, that within 90 seconds of it going on the fritz and the whole middle screen went out they diagnosed it as a bad fiber optic cable uh identified exactly which cable it was and swapped it out with a replacement cable in 90 seconds and it, and it was back on fully operational by the time her memoji demo was over wow um, that's uh that's what i call like it, it's sometimes i know that it's technically not televised so it can't be eligible for the emmys but like those kinds of crews, I feel like, deserve special technical awards for just making all that stuff happen behind yeah. the scenes and happen so quickly. It, it's, I, I, from what I understand, it could not possibly have been diagnosed and fixed in less time. Like it, it was really like the equivalent of like a, you know, like a indie car racing where you come in for a pit <laughs> stop, and it's like you cannot change the tires on a car any faster than that. Uh, and it really would have been an awkward moment. See, like you didn't even notice, like it just sort of, I think the way it came across, if you didn't see the glitch part and, and it was just sort of like, uh, it, just imagine in any sci-fi movie where like, uh, the, the, a cheesy sci-fi movie where the bad guy takes over the <laughs> city's television and before mm-hmm. he, before he comes on screen, there's some kind of like a little sizzle of pixels you know just like a, a quick yeah, fraction the super glitch and then you get yeah. the, the deep you know voice yeah. of jeffrey rush or whomever right. being like yeah, i have control now so the other thing i heard uh uh was that the way that those that those screens worked was they were made up of individual component displays that were relatively small let's say roughly the size of like an ipad so hmm. It was each like imagine how many iPad displays you would need to to cover all of that. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, and it, to get it all working behind the scenes there, they had 22 miles of Ethernet cable. <laughs> miles? <laughs> miles. Of course. 22 of miles. Course miles. 22 miles of Ethernet cable. It, it's, it was really, and it looked like it. I mean, that seems mind boggling, but it really, it, it really was worth it. It was uh, really impressive display technology. I kind of wanted to like, after the keynote storm the stage and like get my face like six inches away from it <laughs> to just see what it looks like up close. Like mm -hmm. it really seemed impossible. Really it was a very <laughs> impressive part of the, the keynote. Um, all right, let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor. It's our good friends at Squarespace. Look, next time you have, here's the bottom line. I'll just skip to the end. Next time you have a website that you need to build, or if you have an old website that you want to replace with a new website, look to Squarespace first. They have everything you need to host, design, update uh, a website. Um, they do the hosting, the actual hosting. You don't have to do software updates. You don't have to manage an operating system. You don't have to worry about security updates. All of that stuff just happens automatically behind the scenes. They have templates to choose from, uh, and they're professionally designed. They're really good looking. They scale perfectly from every device, from a phone to a giant 27-inch uh, 5K display. Um, they have customization where you can add components to your website. So you can build whatever type of website you need. Are you building a store where you have a, a catalog of items and you're going to sell them and you want to take people's credit cards and you want to have orders placed and stuff like that? They've got it. Do you want to start a blog? You can do that. Do you want to host a podcast? You can do that. Do you want to have a store and a podcast on one website? You can do that. All of it is built in a soup to nuts, uh, and it's super great interface. It's not like a coding interface. It is really an approachable, humane interface for normal people who want to look at the interface and have the interface sort of define, oh, I get it. Here's how you use it. I get it. It's not just like a jumble of controls or something like that. Uh, it really is just a fantastic service and just the easiest way that I'm aware of to build design update and keep going with a website. So you can start building your own website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code talk show, just talk show, know the at checkout and you'll get 10% off. So you can buy a whole year of service at once. So you can get 10% off an entire year by using that code. Um, it's really a great service. So start your free trial today. Again, you can just get a free trial at squarespace.com slash talk show. And when you do decide to sign up, just remember that offer code, uh, head to squarespace.com slash talk show and use that offer code talk show, uh, at checkout. So that's squarespace.com slash talk show. Built my wedding website on Squarespace. It's great. I, I think you mentioned that the last time you were on. Oh, did I really? That's funny. I think you did. I think you did. Uh, and you were happy with it? Yeah, I really was. Um, I I didn't keep the subscription up after the after the finish just because I, you know, the wedding was right. over. Uh, right. But I kind of I do want to. I kept the domain name and I kind of do want to like do a do a retrospective and be like, this is what happened. Here are all the I, crazy photos. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And if I am, I apologize. But I think that the last time you were on, or at least the last time you were on that we talked about it, you were on the cusp of getting married and now you're married. Yeah. So I think that's right. Cause I think it was right before. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, all right. 
Let's, I guess we could just go in Apple's order. I want to see what we can mow through in the next hour or so. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> announcements, right? What's new? iOS 12. Yeah. Well, did you hear that it's faster? <laughs> <laughs> so I have it. I don't have it on my main phone. I have it on my year-old iPhone 7. Interesting. Because uh, I, I – and again, we were talking earlier in the show about installing the WWDC beta on, on phones. It, it's it, Summer is just not the time for me to have a phone that I can't <laughs> depend on. Like if anything, it's like the worst time because I'm – it's the most often traveling and am doing – you know, it's like my only connection to the world. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I inevitably end up hearing that like beta three is really stable and switch to the betas at some point. But I'm really resistant this year because I really feel like iOS 11 didn't really hit its stride until 11.4. And it came out a week before <laughs> WWDC. Like, I think 11.4 is one of the best releases of iOS ever it is it was very solid it's super solid it delivers all this stuff that is sort of like a you know file it under finally you know like uh iMessage in the cloud and stuff like that airplay 2 airplay 2 all of this stuff and it's like it just seems criminal to have one week with the perfect version of ios and then switch to (laughs) immediately switch to a beta with a bunch of broken stuff um but i have it on the uh the iphone 7 uh and it's it seems really nice. It certainly doesn't seem slow. I mean, it really you no. know. Uh, I don't think that that was any. I don't think that was bullshit. No, I think they did a lot of a lot of work under the hood. And um, unlike you, I threw caution to the wind and I put it on the iPhone 10. Did because... you do it while you were at WWDC? Oh yeah, I did. I absolutely did. All right, let me ask uh, you how 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 did you do that? How did I install it? Yes. Um, on Monday, I put all my electronics at my hotel. And while I was eating lunch, I went and installed it. So you did it over the Wi-Fi at the hotel? Yeah. Wow. Uh, and I did it. Yeah. I did it over the Wi-Fi at the hotel and I did it w- at a point when I knew people weren't going to be at the hotel. Mm. I think that was the trick, right? You all can't right. do it in the evenings and you can't do it in the mornings and you well, can't do it at WWDC. Right. Well, I did do it at WWDC, but for those of you who are wondering why is John confused about how to install an iOS beta, <laughs> it's because the only place I sh- I didn't even stress test my hotel's Wi-Fi, so maybe I should have, and maybe you know I just assumed that hotel Wi-Fi was unusable was for garbage, a yeah. two gigabyte download. Um, but for years now, um, a couple of years ago, Apple switched to a a really nice way of getting betas on iOS devices, where you don't really download the whole OS. What you do is you log into your developer account at the the developer.apple.com website, and what you download is a provisioning profile. It's just mm-hmm. a profile, probably measured in kilobytes, not even megabytes, just kilobytes. That, and then you approve it with your uh, device passcode. And then you, while you have that profile installed, your phone will look for software updates from the beta servers, not just the main servers. And then you download. It's just like a regular over-the-air software update. Um and I, you know, it's not like I forgot how to use iTunes to download an image to my Mac and then the trick with option and, and you click one of the buttons in iTunes to do like a wipe and restore and the other option is to do an upgrade. And when you hold down the option key, you can pick the IPSW file from the <laughs> file system. I, I vaguely remembered it, but I hadn't done it in so long. And the 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 catch is Apple has terrific Wi-Fi throughout the convention center, just really world class Wi-Fi. But they don't let you 
download the over-the-air software updates over the Wi-Fi, and for, with the good reason that they're worried that that would saturate the Wi-Fi and it wouldn't be <laughs> good Wi-Fi anymore. <laughs> so you have to use Ethernet, and they do have kiosks with Ethernet, uh, you know, located throughout the convention center. Um, yeah, but that's a pain to try and hook up to an iOS device. Well, there was a, I don't know his name. I don't think he knew who I was, but he was very, very kind. I thought I was uh, up Schitt's Creek without a paddle because I have a 2014 MacBook Pro, and which mm. I've smugly, smugly been you know bragging about because my keyboard works with 100% success. You, I, here I am. I'm sprinkling uh, sand over my keyboard right now. Guess what? Still works. Um, Just to be a smug bastard. But their um, their kiosks had regular Ethernet adapt, you know, plugs and. USB C adapters, USB C plugs, and I don't have USB C, and I don't have a regular Ethernet plug, and I used to for years carry a the USB, you know, the old school USB to Ethernet adapter, mm-hmm. um, you know, which Mac users had needed have needed for years. I couldn't find it in my backpack. I don't know where it is. I, at some point, I lost it, and I thought I was I thought I was screwed. Uh, and I was complaining. A friend happened to walk by. I said, hey, you don't happen to have an adapter, do you? Um, and he said, no. But somebody listened. And they. it ends up, it's it's sort of my laziness slash not so great eyesight anymore. One of the plugs that I thought was USB-C at the kiosk was the Thunderbolt 2 plug, which I do have. <laughs> which you have. Right. And so I did that and uh, and did install it on the thing at the at the kiosk got your betas um, the old-fashioned way yeah i was seriously hmm. thinking like should i like set up my other phone as a tethering thing and just <laughs> do it over wi-fi and tethering <laughs> i don't know yeah well thankfully you didn't have to do it that way but no i uh, i did the over-the-air update from my hotel um and i did it on my 10 specifically because i had my 8 plus with me as well and i was just like well i have my 8 plus and i have a sim removal tool so if i completely bork my 10 then at least I still have a perfectly functioning phone on iOS 11.4. But I, you know, I, I am a creature of like enjoyable niche features and Memoji was just weird enough that I was like, well, yes, of course I want to try this and group FaceTime and all of that. Like these are iOS, these are, these are iPhone 10 only features. And if I install the beta on a different phone, then it just means that I'm going to have to install it on my iPhone X sooner or later if I want to test these features. So why not just install it now, get it over with, and then have the other phone as my like safe yeah. phone and not not panic about it. And so, I haven't regretted it. Yeah, and I, I, it's really hard to test on an iPhone Seven for me. Like my my pattern in recent years has always been install the first beta on my one year old iPhone. The mm-hmm. most recent one that's not my main one. And as soon as I verify that it seems good enough, pop my SIM into there and then use it. Use that as my main phone. And then if anything really goes wrong, I can just go back to my newer phone. Um, and I, I, I can't I can't bring myself to do it with this because I've – and I'm not surprised by this, but I'm so spoiled by the iPhone X and Face the ID. Gestures. 
and yeah. the gesture, the gesture, it's all driving me nuts. Like as much as when I first got the iPhone 10, it was kind of hard to adjust to the gestures and not having a home button to click, et cetera, et cetera, going backwards. And it's just, to me, it's just verifies how, how successful the iPhone 10 design is. It, it is just maddening. Um, I had completely forgotten about this. So on the iPhone 10, when let's say uh, you send me an iMessage and I look at my lock screen and there's the little notification um, and it, it'll tell me once I look at the phone, it'll, it'll, it, it opens it up and tells me what the message says. And then I can just tap the message to go to messages and I'm in there. You can't do that with the iPhone seven. You have to unlock the phone. You've got to like go to the home button, but then you can't tap a particular message to jump to that message. It, it, it's impossible to go back. Like I'm, and I can use it to just poke around and examine the features, but it is, it is so maddening. And I'm so, but I want some of these features. Like just before this show started, um, I, uh, yesterday I posted something about Swift and some, you know, just some sort of pushback on Swift as the be all end all language for all uses. And, and a very smart friend of mine sent me a series of about five or six, uh, iMessages. And I love that they show up in a single stack on the lock screen on this phone. Yes. I love it. But I, the fact that I can't just press hard on them to jump t- to the thread messages, <laughs> it makes this phone feel like it's broken. Uh, well, you clearly have only one choice, and that's to install yeah. the beta on your iPhone 10. Yeah. Uh, please don't. People who are listening, I'm like, please don't do that. Like right. we're, we're crazy people. Yeah. Like yeah. you we're, should wait for the public beta at least. Yeah. Uh, all right. So features, Memoji, how do you like the Memoji? I really like, all right. So here's the thing. Memoji. I'm like, all right, this is a gimmick and emoji. I thought were really cute. And then I never used them just cause I was just like, all right, whatever they're, they're fun, but I don't usually record videos with sound if I'm going to record videos at all. Uh, but there's something about creating virtual avatars of yourself, especially when they're cute. Like the Memoji are what I really appreciate about what Apple's done for this is it's not just like it's not um the iOS 11 Notes app with its like five colors in the color picker, right? Yeah. Like the Memoji are deeply customizable and to an almost shocking extent and they show up you know you, you create one and it's gender neutral to start mm. so you can choose whatever hair you want whatever you can you know make like purple skin if you want to just make an alien or make something crazy and the hair like this is the thing that got me is that the most of it is just like it's a fun you know it's a fun advancement of their emoji tech where it's just using the RR sensor and the whole face ID front camera to do some really cool stuff um, but they have made such gigantic improvements in the physics engine hmm. that they're using for rendering. Like the the hair is the thing that freaks me out the most. Um, and I posted like, I did just like a cute little karaoke video right after I got back from WWDC where I was literally spinning the phone around while like trying to lip sync to the closing song from Black Panther, which is like a Kendrick Lamar song. Um, And I'm like, I'm literally spinning the phone and there's no artifaction. There's no lag. There's no thing. The only thing that you notice is the fact that as I'm spinning and like bobbing my head, you can see the like shoulder length hair like flowing and bobbing and like moving with the physics of not just the phone, but me. And it was just, it was a completely like, it was a trip. It was a complete trip. 
Uh, and the more I keep on, you can make a whole bunch of these and it's really easy to like duplicate them and add features and like sunglasses and nonsense like that. And they're just, it reminds me of when I first got my Nintendo Wii and like I started just making tons of Miis, which yeah. obviously this will get, you know, compared to. Uh, but it's it's like that. It's like maybe you don't have just as much customization. Like Apple has wisely steered away from the like, adjust your eyes one centimeter up or down. It's just kind of like here are our default selections that you can play with. Um, but it, I don't know. It's just it's really enjoyable. I spent a good like two hours messing around with Momoji, and I find that I'm stent that I'm actually sending them to people. And maybe I'm I'm sending them to people because it's a new feature and it's like whatever. But especially tying it in with like. With the camera on the on iMessage and then also tying it in with group FaceTime, which is also like kind of a trip. Like, I don't know. I feel like there are some actual use cases for this in a in just beyond like a fun gimmick, but like a actual. Yeah, let's let's play around with this. Uh, I saw something the other day on Twitter that really impressed me was um, and I don't know who this was. It was like I saw somebody retweeted the person who did it, but it was really good that they were just like got bored and decided to make uh Harry Potter memoji oh. and they just posted a whole bunch. And, but it's like, even if they hadn't told me who it was, I would have instantly known, you know, of course. It like, Oh, it was, but it was so, you know, like to me, that's pretty telling that it's expressive enough that you could like, look at this image and be like, you know, like if you're playing the memoji version of Pictionary, you'd be like Harry Potter. <laughs> the, um, Louis Mantia made a, a, a version of the Pixar inside out poster with memojis oh, as uh, the inside out characters. And that was great too. And it's just, they really do. There's so it, there's a ton of options. Now they're not as many as there should be. Like there are no AirPods option. There are a whole bunch hmm. of earrings option, but there are no AirPods. And I'm like, that's an odd choice. Um, and they're, you know, I, I know Darumple is complaining about the fact that there's no beard that's longer than like a, of like half an inch. So there's still, <laughs> there's still some things that probably need to be worked out. The beards in general are kind of just like lumps on the face. They don't have the same hair mechanics. Hmm. And because the Momoji, like in a vacuum, having them be uh, floating heads is not a bad thing. Uh, but when you apply them to group FaceTime chats or photos, that's when they get a little bit weird, especially if you have long hair on a Momoji, because the long hair like hangs down where the neck should be so that when you put it on an actual like an AR kind of body where it's like your body, but the Momoji's head uh, with short hair, it looks fine. But with the shoulder length hair, it's like, oh, my neck is gone. My shoulders are gone. It huh. just looks like a random floating head has taken it like a like the um, Haunted Mansion ride where yeah. the ghost gets overlaid at the end. It kind of looks like like that where you're like that's weird so i'm hoping like there, there's still some things to tweak with it but i like it's gonna sell a lot of iphone 10s there's yeah. no question about that like this this is the feature to sell the iphone 10 in the fall when they come out with like the iphone 10 2 or whatever right um yeah to to get people to upgrade to a uh what's it called uh <laughs> The notch, a notch, a notch, oh, the no a notch phone, a notch phone, <laughs> something with the front facing camera array, yeah. and depth sensor, face detection, blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, it seems, it seems really, you know, it, it is gimmicky, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It might be a good gimmick that people actually use. Yeah, um, and it's proof of concept of the tech, the technology. Yeah. Like it's, they don't overtly say that like 
there's AR kit at work, but clearly there's AR kit at work. Like there is face detection, right. there's eye detection, like right. there's a lot of stuff that's going on here. And granted the front facing camera is very advanced, but I mean, I've said this from the beginning, like the FaceTime front facing camera to me, yeah, it enables face ID, but what's really interesting about that technology is when it comes to the back camera, not yeah. only how it's going to improve photos, but how it's going to improve AR and IR yeah. kit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's sort of jump, jumping away to big picture, but I, I, I really do think that where Apple is going with this, and I've said this before, but maybe not in a while, but basically where are they going? They're going in a direction where your phone knows where you are and where you're going. Mm-hmm. Like in the way that, okay, I know center city, Philadelphia pretty well. And so if you, uh, you know, put a bag over my head, like the equivalent of putting me, putting me in your purse, uh, or if I were an iPhone, putting me in your purse or your pocket and then take me out. Right. Like it wouldn't take me long to figure out where we are, you know, like, oh, I know that mm-hmm. store. I know that. I know that Wawa. OK, we're at, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're broad and uh, chestnut, um, you know, or, oh, there's City Hall. OK, I got it. I know where we are. We're on Market I'm reoriented. Street. Right. Yeah. I, it wouldn't take me long. And the phone should be able to. You know, you soon enough, meaning within a handful of years, should be able to do all of that with a combination of uh, GPS and camera and depth sensing. Uh, you know, it, it it just doesn't see. It just seems like that's that's where it's all heading, and yeah. that and you know that your photos will be tagged, and it won't just know where you were based on GPS, but it'll know exactly which way you were oriented. Mm. That's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, right? you the, it's the inevitable. additional like campus. Yeah, right. Well, and I think what's really interesting and stuff that in terms of like well, no, no. Think iOS. about this. Not just the compass, but once it analyzes the actual picture, right? And and if you're oh. in a right, so if you're in a park and and you're taking a picture of of a friend or a selfie, and yeah. it's mostly a view and it's mostly like green trees and grass, but there's a statue or a fountain in the background, like in the way that if I knew the park you were in. You know, you could know exactly which way you were turned. Right. I would know where yeah. you, if I'm familiar with the park, but the phone should be able to be familiar with everything everywhere collectively. Mm-hmm. You know, well, in pulling it back to iOS 12 for a second, I think it's really interesting. You know, Apple's been building its sort of underlying proactive technology since iOS 9, where it's like, yeah, your apps will kind of know like when when you're in the morning, it'll suggest certain right. apps to you. And they've right. they've gone away from that or they went away with, away from that a little bit with iOS 11. But with iOS 12, they're bringing it back in a big right. way with shortcuts and Siri suggestions right. and all of this this, you know, proactive um, continuities type stuff. But what I think is really interesting about it, because it's not like the the features themselves are not dissimilar to what Google is doing um, on their technology, but the way that Apple's executing it is the stuff that makes me really excited. The fact that like, you know, people people were seeing on the beta um, a suggestion to like go into do not disturb mode, uh, being like, oh, your lunch with Kathy sounds important. And lunch with Kathy was not on a calendar invite. It was in iMac 
messages and people were mm. like, whoa, what's going on there? Um, and doing some digging into it and realizing this is entirely done locally. This right. is the phone. Like this is the secure enclave right. being like, well, you've allowed me access locally to your things. So I'm going to locally look at your iMessage and locally look at your calendars and locally look at what direction you are in a park and then give you suggestions based on that. And those suggestions aren't necessarily synced through iCloud or anything like that. They never go up to the cloud. So Apple has found a way to like, it still seems dirty to be like rummage through your messages, but Apple's found a way to like scan your information in a way that never violates your security because it's being done locally on the phone that they can't have access to unless you physically, you know, hand it over and unlock it. And that's a really like... Because I think the the potential of, you know, having a phone that you can go into a park and it knows where you're oriented and maybe you press an AR button and instantly you can turn around and see the rest of the park, right? You can see the you can see where what it would have looked like on that day. Like there there are a ton of possibilities here, but it always comes with the caveat of personal privacy and security, right? Like how far can we go before we just give over all of our rights to unnamed third company, third party company? And I really appreciate the way that Apple has been doing this slowly and smartly to the point where like their chips are fast enough to process all of this locally. So you don't have to stress out about you know, about your your messages having to ping up to a server so you can get a suggestion to go into do not disturb mode at lunch. It's just the phone knows. The phone tells you. I wonder how much, I wonder how that's going to play in the mass market though, because, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think it's one reason uh, of several uh, why Apple has been publicly hammering home the, we value your privacy and we don't want your data you know, yeah. we don't want to be, we don't want, we don't, it's not just that we don't want to look at it. We don't even want to have it so that we yep. can't look at it. And they've been saying it for years. I think they mean it. And, you know, it's not like Apple isn't a little known brand, but I <laughs> wonder though how it'll play when something like that happens, how an event that's not on your calendar, only in a message, but a separate component of the OS is you know, prompting you to, you know, do you want to turn off, turn, do not disturb on for the next hour because you've got lunch, you know, will it freak people out or will it only surprise them the first two times and then they'll get used to it and accept it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think there'll be a momentary, I mean, we already kind of saw it on Twitter last week. There'll be a momentary like, oh my God, how is this happening? I do think that Apple should come out with messaging and maybe they already have that in kind of in the works for iOS 12 where they're just kind of like, this is why this is so cool. They were just waiting until shortcuts kind of got mm-hmm. a little bit more refined. Maybe we'll see some stuff in the public beta. Maybe we'll see some stuff at launch. But like, I think it's really, it's a really important thing to get out in front of. Because if you can say, you know, all those features that Google's been doing them f- for years, well, we can do it now too with our iPhone 10 and the iPhone 8 with iOS 12. But you don't have to do it in some cloud, you right. know, where potentially the FBI could have access to your data. It's all locally on your phone. Right. Like they that's a great message for them to to pitch. But I do think I think you're right in that like there might be some initial panic if Apple doesn't grab hold of that narrative and be like, right. This is this is how this is gonna go. Right. And you're not gonna get ads based on the thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's also really key, right? right. I, I like, definitely <laughs> think so. Uh 
And it's also, I mean, I think about, uh, I think about Apple's, you know, concern over this. You know about the the new App Store, right? You know the fact that uh, this is something that's kind of, I feel like, gone completely under the radar because it's not in the, it wasn't in the keynote. Is that iOS twelve um, and even a little? I think they're beta testing it in iOS eleven. I'm not positive, but iOS twelve offers a fully customized App Store based on your purchase history and like how you rate apps. Mm-hmm. Um, so your today screen actually shows up with customized editorials based on your tastes and your likes and like what you prefer it. It's basically like for you with Apple Music, but it's but it's right. through the App Store. Um, and Apple did it without changing any of their terms and conditions and they're not gathering any extra data. But I, I like I have to assume that there was some concern over especially the Cambridge Analytica stuff and everything else that like how was that going to play? You know, like, how is that going to play if we introduce it in a keynote, if we don't have the exact right wording? So I, I, again, I think it's like part of that whole, that whole messaging, right? Maybe they're still working on the way to present a, like, we're doing something really cool, but we're not doing it with your data in a way that like other companies are doing. I think with the store in particular, people have long accepted it and, and embraced it as a feature. So like, Mm -hmm. I mean, and Amazon, you know, paved the way, I mean, literally at this point, Decades ago, I think I first yeah. started shopping at Amazon in 1997, uh, maybe even 96. I don't know, but certainly 97. But Amazon has always had a recommendation engine based on past purchases. Um, that's you know useful. It's like yeah, that actually yeah, that actually is useful to me because you know you you guys get me. Um, it, the creepier part, the part that is more objectionable, isn't when your behavior on Amazon and your suggestions from Amazon are based on your actions. It's when you start getting suggestions on Amazon for things you didn't search for on Amazon, you searched for somewhere else or, you know, uh, and that's to me is the difference with the app store. So like, of course, Apple knows your purchase history. It's it's obvious. You could, you know, you go to the purchase tab and it's, you know, they'll tell you everything you bought. It would be broken if they, you know, it would be bad if they didn't know your purchase history. So why not use it to order or show things in a different order? Uh, what else? Uh, privacy related. We've got the AirPods. <laughs> this is from my notes. I, <laughs> I clearly meant to look up the actual name of the feature before we started, and I didn't. It says AirPods listening thing. That's great. That's perfect. Um, AirPods as as live listen as hearing aids, uh, which is designed as an accessibility feature, and it essentially just means that wherever you leave your iPhone or if you use your iPhone as a microphone, um, it'll get routed to your AirPods the same way it would get routed to a three or four hundred dollar hearing aid. Right. So it's, a, a, it's a feature yeah. that's already been in iOS for at least a year, maybe years, where Correct. people who use uh, digitally, you know, connected uh, hearing aids, people with, you know, with with you know low hearing, can can do this. So now it's just a, the same feature has been expanded to allow you to use AirPods. Yeah, which is honestly, which is really cool from an accessibility standpoint. It also means that, you know, for people who are hard of hearing or maybe even people who don't necessarily need like hearing aids, but they still want to be able to use, you know, to to connect um, and listen to people. And maybe they're like just starting to lose their hearing. Maybe they're just, you know, your grandparents. Right. And they want to you want to have a conversation. Um, it allows them to to really to have that feature if they already have a set of AirPods. But of course, the the machine like instantly Twitter was like spying, yeah. like <laughs> which I I understand. I understand. Yeah. I mean, it could there, be used like that. <laughs> um, 
there's a new podcast uh, friend of the show, Stephen Aquino, who who has written. Uh, you know, I would I would say without question is the leading writer on accessibility and Apple products. Uh, I, I can't even imagine. I don't even know who's in second place. Yeah, um, no. Um, he has a new podcast called Accessible, and um, it he had a great WWDC where he got interviews with uh, people at Apple who work on this stuff, including. Uh, Apple's senior director of global accessibility policy and initiatives, which, which Stephen and the, her name is Sarah Herlinger, which they even admitted is a bit, a bit of a mouthful of a title. <laughs> um, she was great. Stephen asked great questions, but one of the things she said, like a specific environment where they were thinking about this and tested, it would be a loud restaurant. So mm. for somebody who maybe doesn't need a hearing aid, but whose hearing uh, accessibility needs are such that they have trouble understanding a conversation in a noisy restaurant um, that, that so they may not own like a three or $400 hearing aid cause they don't need one usually, but they could use their AirPods in the restaurant and point the phone's microphone, just lay it on the table and point it at their, uh, you know, uh, the people they're eating with across the table and get this um, uh, clarified audio. Yeah. Um, that that was a specific scenario that they were thinking of where where would somebody use this for accessibility but would maybe wouldn't be the owner of of hearing aids. I thought it was great. I'll put a link to the show notes, I swear to god, to this episode because it's really really great and uh it's a I think it's only the third episode of Steven's podcast and he's already mm-hmm. got Apple executives <laughs> on the show, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> he's doing it right. He's yeah. doing it right. But I thought really that was is. pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so everybody freaked out about the spying angle and it's like Man, there are so many things like search the web for like listening devices. It's like, you know, again, you I'm don't want to s- know. You don't want to go down that rabbit hole because then you'll just you'll look at everything and just be like, all right. So people are listening from my lamp like this has been around since the right. 50s. Like we have to understand that it's not well, unusual. Well, <laughs> think about the way that uh, again, and, and it's not wrong that people immediately jump to that conclusion. It's no, actually I no, guess it's, it's not. It's healthy that that your instincts you know, jump to bad conclusions, but we've had the ability to turn on the iPhone camera and control it from our watch. Uh, maybe not ever since the original watch, but certainly for a couple of years nope, since now. the original, I okay. think, well, I whatever think it's, it's yeah, a couple of still. years. So you could prop up your phone in a room and, and control it, uh, take pictures of people and stuff like that. I mean, and there's also, of course we all know there's all sorts of devices you can buy that are cameras that you can hide in a room and, and surreptitiously take photos of people. So, Again, people, somebody might eventually abuse it that way, but it certainly isn't a reason not to add the feature to the OS because it's not the only way to do it. It's not like not doing this in iOS 12 is going to keep people from ever being snooped on. Spying on each other. Yeah, exactly. People are people. You just have to be vigilant and, you know. Be right. be friends with the right folks. Right. Go to the right places, I guess. Right. And you do you do have to leave your seven or eight hundred dollar, nine hundred dollar, thousand dollar iPhone <laughs> laying just lying around, around, right? So you know, there's probably also cheaper ways to do it. Yeah, group, group FaceTime. I haven't tried this yet. Oh, I just tried it today. It's really cool. It's yep. actually again for a for a one product, it is pretty solid. And I believe like. I think you you were asking Jaws about this last week about like oh you guys use this internally for meetings and after having used it with like five or six people today I'm like oh yeah I can totally I can totally see this because already 
unlike, you know, when I'm in Montreal, I do not have great Wi-Fi at all. Like just I'm in the back of a railroad apartment. It's really patchy signal. Um, But I was able to do a group FaceTime on my patchy Wi-Fi with no issues whatsoever. And it's like it was I've never even had a Skype or a Hangouts thing this Mm. clear. Mm. And it's and it was very good in that, like it, it was intelligently degrading and like improving the signal based on like what you know it, there was never that moment where the entire chat froze and you're just like oh good well i have no idea what's talking anymore instead it was just like oh your your connection isn't as strong okay we're going to drop out the picture but you're still going to get full audio you're still like it was just you know just some there's a lot of really nice tweaks under the under the hood and facetimes i mean facetimes proprietary under the hood codec has always been really strong in this regard so i'm i guess i'm not that surprised but it's nice to see that you know even this fe- though this feature feels like three or four years late, it's still really strong. And again, adding Memoji and all the effects and everything else, it makes Hangouts like special effects stuff look primitive, look like grade school stuff. Yeah, I because kinda, it's so good. I kind of get the feeling that the doesn't really feel like a 1.0 and kind of feels like it's three or four years late are one in this two sides of the same coin. Right? Oh yeah, like, absolutely. The reason it seems to have shipped a little, at least a couple of years later than I would say most of us would have expected to have multiple people, more than two people in a, a FaceTime video chat, is that they decided to ship it when it was like rock solid and mm-hmm. really well done. And so it's not sort of the typical. This is this works most of the time. One point <laughs> right? Yeah. And well, it, and it makes sense because there already are. Hangouts is pretty solid. Yeah, Skype is yeah. pretty solid. There are a million, yeah. you know, f- ch- video chat options. So if you're going to introduce something, you better make it as, as good as iMessage. Yeah. And as secure as iMessage. Because one of yes. the questions I asked last week at the show, I knew the answer, but it was good to hear it on the record, is that it, even with a 32-person group FaceTime, it remains end-to-end encrypted for everybody involved. Which is, this is incredible, uh, mind-boggling to me. Um, yeah. Uh, all right, shortcuts. Are you? I, I haven't set up any shortcuts yet. Yeah. So short. <laughs> I mean, shortcuts. The app doesn't exist yet, so it's we're still right. in. We're still in. I think the the best thing to think about, and uh, Federico Vitici wrote an amazing piece on this today at Mac Stories. Oh. Renee has been doing some really great stuff at iMore. Uh, the things to know about shortcuts is it's really like three different things. There's shortcuts the app, which basically replaces workflow. Um, and to from everything I've been hearing and from everything Vatici and, and Renee have been hearing, it sounds like it's going to be identical to workflow, including all of the callback URL schemes and like all of the advanced coding stuff that people have been able to do and play around with. It doesn't sound like Apple's taking away any of that functionality, which is awesome. Uh, but the app's not ready yet, right? It's still workflow yeah. in the store. And it'll eventually replace it. But until it does... Uh, we really can't play around with that. Then there's also Siri-based shortcuts, and these are a little bit more complicated in that these are current. You can mess around with them in the first beta, uh, but they're only found in the settings app under the Siri tab. And eventually, it sounds like they may pop up on your lock screen as like, hey, you do this pretty often. Do you want to create a voice shortcut for it? Right. Um, but those right now are only – they only show up in um, – in settings, uh, and it's it's really easy to create a voice shortcut, but it's only for one thing, right? Like it's right. Uh, a great example was um, if I went into it right now, it would show me it was like, would you like to create a voice shortcut for launching iMore.com or like opening 
the specific talk show uh, shared note that John right. Gruber just linked to you. And then you could say, you know, talk show. And then anytime you said talk show to Siri, Siri would automatically open up that note in specific. Um, so it's like little things like that. Um, and it sounds like third-party apps will also be able to include those kinds of things so that you can actually automatically build one by either pressing a button in the app or the app will suggest it to you on your home screen. So that's mm. kind of the other the other aspect of shortcuts. Um, and then they combine together in, in a lovely way. But it just it you still what is from what I can understand, you'll still be able to run like work the workflow style shortcuts like as an action extension or as a as a standalone like home screen app and things like that. It's just now in addition to that, it's hooking into Siri so that you can do multi part things with Siri, which is pretty cool. Hmm. Very cool. Um, screen time. Uh, scary. Is, is, screen, is screen time, do they spell it one word or two words? Two words. Right. It is two words in the settings app. So I, I, I suspect that once I have this running on my main phone, I'm going to have some, some eye-opening reports <laughs> on some of my usage. Like the one in particular, I, I forget if I said this on stage or backstage to Jaws, but I was like the one about how many times a day you wake your phone. I just know it's going to be like, whoa, come on. That's busted. Broken. Oh, yeah. Nobody l- opens their phone 253 <laughs> times a day. Um, oh, it's, it's better. I had 4,000 last week. <laughs> on the week, not the day. Right. No, right. no, no, no. The day, right. a Tuesday, the Tuesday when I was messing around no. with iOS 12, I, like it was sp- very specifically, obviously a testing issue, but like it was still a little bit like, why, why? No. So no. I, w- I, I went through and like I told you, I had this uh, longer than you'd think, even over super fast ethernet, where I installed the beta on my iPhone seven at WWDC, but didn't really get a chance to use it hardly at all there and then flew home on thursday and got in and like friday like decided to check it out and it says you use your phone for two minutes a day (laughs) and i'm like not for long (laughs) you're like that's not correct that is a little weird yeah i mean i've been i've been looking at the graph for about a week and i do find it's really helpful to kind of just generally see a, a an overall picture they give you um, most used graphs not only for individual apps but also for groupings of apps yeah. so like reading and reference my like grouping which is like books and a couple other things it's like reading and reference 18 hours in the last week and i'm like yeah that sounds about right um, and they have like social networking and productivity and entertainment and things like that. Yeah. Um, and that, like, that's kind of, that's helpful for getting kind of a general idea of like what you're doing. Uh, I haven't set any downtime. I haven't set any app limits yet. I don't know if I will, uh, just cause it's like, uh, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard when you're also using it for your job. Maybe I'll set some downtime stuff for right. like everything, but the books app at night. Right. Cause it might fo- <laughs> force me to like actually read and not go to Twitter I, when I want to be reading actual books. I, I um, should set the opposite of a limit. I should set like a requirement that I have to spend 45 minutes a day in mail. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. Right. This is something I actually I haven't filed a radar yet, but it's on my list of radars to file. Is I actually want them when you like use up your screen time for a certain app, I actually want you to they, them to prompt you with a different app. Like, oh, you spent you know your two hours allotted on Tweetbot. Would you like to go learn a new language and Duolingo right. instead? Would you right. like to go work, check your mail, John Gruber? I really uh, should. Th- I mean, it would be yeah. exactly like the uh, uh, like calorie goals or standing goals on the watch. Like, yeah. come on, you can make it. 
<laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can do it. No, the, you know, the one thing about screen time that wigs me out a little bit is if you're in a family, uh, which I am, you can see everybody in your family's screen time, including your significant other, and you can set downtime and app limits for them, <laughs> which I think is kind of screwy. I'm like, I'm hoping that that can be turned off on the, like, you know, it's like if my husband wants to turn off screen time so that I can't see it, just like he can turn off uh, Find My Friends. Like, I feel like that would probably be a good security feature because I just, I, I feel like, I don't know, I just see controlling, like, ex-girlfriends and boyfriends and it makes me right. uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, but it's it's cool from, I mean, I don't have a kid, but you have a kid. Like, yeah. is this something, does, is something you're going to use for Jonas? I'll take a look at it. I mean, we're, we've, we don't really have very many limits on his stuff and it's it's just all it's all going to be youtube it's just going to be yeah and you know but he actually he doesn't watch youtube on his phone much though it's mm. uh, his phone thing is mostly some stupid meme app uh where it's just you just page through and just get memes <laughs> very that stupid sounds... he's his his youtube usage is almost entirely macbook and so macbook isn't mac mac isn't getting this feature yet but not yet maybe next uh, year yeah yeah uh, I'm trying to think of like other w- weird and cool things. You can set up an alternate face ID appearance, although people are yeah. um, people are now like, oh, it's second a second person for FaceTime, and I'm like, eh, well, sort of. Yeah, I guess I that the, works. It, it, that seems like though, if that's what they really meant, they that they, they wouldn't use that language. This seems like no. something. I, I I can't even um you know I'm sure I can think of dozens of scenarios for this, but you know, uh, uh, one that I could think of in particular would be if your job requires you to wear like a mask um, yeah. or certain goggles, you know, and I, re- I got an email that I actually saw and read and much appreciated <laughs> from a surgeon who, um, who got an iPhone 10 and could just simply couldn't get it to unlock while he was wearing a surgical mask. Um, and then all of a sudden, a couple of months in, it started working. And he wrote to me to, you know, speculating that either like a software improvement, something changed. Um, I, w- I could imagine that this might help with some scenario like that, where sometimes you're wearing yeah. a surgical mask. And if you set it up both ways and say, these are both me, it, it, it can triangulate it. it. The language of the feature, and, and nobody is, seems to have figured, I, I don't know, I haven't seen if anybody has figured out whether it really does work with two entirely different people but mm. i think if that's what they meant they would have said they would have written it differently they would have just been like multi-person facetime right isn't that cool right like they don't call yeah. it like with touch id they don't call it alternative finger angle <laughs> you know what i mean it's like you just set up a different finger yeah it's yeah, pretty exactly. clear you know that when you're setting up a different finger it's a different finger Hmm. yeah so other things uh there are new Siri voices. There's a South African Siri voice and hmm. there's also an Irish Siri voice. So if you want to sound your iPhone to sound like Friday from <laughs> Iron Man, you can make that happen. That's pretty cool. Uh <laughs> here's one that I don't know anything about cuz I haven't put it on an iPad yet, but you, I understand that you have strong feelings about the new swipe <laughs> gestures on iPad. I really do. I have so many. Well, okay, so the iPad gestures have been reoriented to be in line with the iPhone 10. So, you know, instead of control center being part of like the spaces area when you do the four finger swipe up and now it's 
pull down from the top right and it's like, oh, the camera, you know, the date is in the top left corner and the stuff is in the top right corner. And hmm, there's a conspicuous space missing in the <laughs> middle. I wonder, wonder where, why that could be. Uh, but in addition to all of this, it means that when you're swiping up from the bottom, it treats it like you would in an iPhone 10 where it automatically goes home. And this is a problem because prior to this, if you did a swipe up from the bottom, you would get the dock. Right. And then if you continued swiping up from the bottom, you would go home. But the initial like one flick up is just to pull the dock up so that you could swap apps. And what I've been doing pretty much constantly since I installed this on my iPad is going to flick up to the dock and then sending it back home hmm. and then reopening the app and then flicking up the dock and sending so, it back home. So it, it's <laughs> just to be clear, a small flick yeah. does still bring up the dock and a larger flick does the iPhone 10 style start to go home? Sort of. If you if you do an up flick and you keep your finger on the display, it will pull up the dock. But if you flick and lift your finger off mm. the display, it will send it all the way home. Gotcha. All and right. that and what, is the annoyance. All right. But what about multitasking? Multitasking is still – can you swipe up to get to multitasking or – Yeah, you can still do a four-finger swipe to get to the multitasking screen. Um, yeah, the multi the multi finger swipes are all mostly intact. Uh, split vo- split view and s- slide over and all of that seems to all work pretty much identically. It's just the dock issue, and I have to assume that this is just some tweaking that will get fixed in beta. Like I'm not going to panic about it until we've gotten a couple betas in, because clearly, like it's it's going to be a different. If when you associate the same swipe gesture with two different things. It's a little bit difficult. It's kind of like with the iPhone 10 having the upward swipe gesture close an app, but also like if you do it halfway, you can go into multitasking mode, right? Or swiping along the bottom, you could switch apps. Like these things, um, they can move them over to the iPad uh, for, you know, for whatever reason they might want to, uh, but it's going to take some time, right? It's going to, yeah. they're going to have to plug everything together. Uh, last but not least, there's a new Apple Books app replacing yes. <sighs> the old iBooks app. So this one is interesting. This one I think might end up being the hidden, like unsung feature of iOS 12 because it didn't get, you know, it got no screen time basically on the keynote. Like it was up as like, oh look, new new books app, new font. Which they is spent called SF t- Serif. <laughs> they spent more time talking about the name change. <laughs> they really did. I right? know, I know. They're like, oh yeah, and it has all these things. Next, let's talk about stocks. No, uh, it's so Apple Books. It's now Apple Books instead of iBooks, which I think is makes sense. Been expecting that name change for a while. Uh, has a new font for the uh, the headers uh, that's now called SF Serif, and it's beautiful. Like it's a really beautiful serif font. Um, but the biggest deal about Apple Books is it's just like the reading experience itself is almost identical. Like it pretty much looks exactly the same as iOS 11, but everything around the reading experience, like buying books and organizing books and choosing books you want to read and saying that you finished books, all of these things are now built into the app. It's like, it's, it's like they took all the features of Goodreads and then they're like, all right, how can we make this usable and interesting to people. So now when you launch the when you launch the book apps, you have this beautiful like reading now screen and it shows the book that you're currently reading as well as like how far you're into it and either it shows the cover if you haven't opened it in the last 24 hours or it actually has it open to the specific page. Um, and it uses a lot of the the horizontal scrolls that the the new app store kind of premiered last year with iOS 11. And it just it it's such a smart design, in my opinion. Like, obviously, I've had 
two weeks with it. Um, but I have been reading, like I read a lot of books on my iPhone. It's basically the, it's the thing I do before I go to sleep. And like when I'm standing in lines and things like that, I enjoy reading a lot and reading on the OLED screen is really easy. Uh, and the, the reading experience and just managing books, the fact that there's a new want to read section that you can tag for either books you already own or books you want to look at in the store. And it just displays immediately under that reading now section. So if you want to find a, if you're like, oh yeah, someone told me to read that book, I can just throw it on my want to read list and I don't have to buy it. I don't have to tag, like it's literally just press a button and it goes down on onto want to read and I can look at it another time. But there's also, there's this new finished collection and the finished collection, like the want to read collection, you can tag any book, whether or not you own it, which means that you, uh, I go back to the Goodreads comparison. It's like, I'm thinking about, and, and I've been doing this the last week where it's like all of these books that I have on my shelf that I didn't buy digitally. And I'm like, I don't want to buy them digitally. I don't want to rebuy the same book, but I can indicate in the app, like I've read this already. Hmm. I And then you get this beautiful timeline that's like, you read this book now. You read this book, you know, two weeks ago. And you can actually see, like, the pace that you're reading books and how often you're reading. And, all. like, it's just – it's a lot of really smart features. Uh, and it uh, also heralds the return of a bit of skeuomorphism, for lack of a better word, where yes. the actual books uh, have a bit of a – not even really a bit. I mean, they very much look like hardcover books with a spine and lighting effects. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think anybody who's had the patience would realize that after the great flattening of iOS 7, that the dial would uh, ease back up eventually throughout the OS. You know, there's a drop shadow yeah. behind the books as well. Uh, looks good. Yes, it looks really nice. I, I am not sold on SF Serif. Uh, I don't hate it. I don't know that I love it, but it might be. I, th I, I think it's growing. The more I see it, the more it grows on me. And it does. As soon as I saw it in a slide, the first slide that came up. And, and of course, I instantly was like, that's new. <laughs> it was like the first thing I remember with the watch, too, uh, mm -hmm. where I thought, oh, they're using DIN. And then I immediately thought, oh, that's not DIN. Ooh, uh, <laughs> that's a new font, right? But do you know a friend at Apple told me that, like internally, before they had officially named San Francisco, it was at least some designers who had seen it and knew of it were calling it Dinvetica. <laughs> Which, if you look at Din and Helvetica, and then look at on two sides, and then look at San Francisco in the middle, is actually pretty apt. Uh, there's it's Din very similar, yeah. yeah. And I looked at as soon as I saw this font, I was like, oh, I guarantee you that's that's called San Francisco Serif. It is absolutely, you know, in terms of like the the X height and a couple of other features of it. It was like, oh, that's a sibling to San Francisco, the Serif font or San Serif font. So I think it fits in that regard. And if any app deserves to have a serif font, it would be the Books app. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because when I first looked at it, it, it uses a lot of black and white. And even, you know, in, it, it uses a, sort of a dark mode when you're in dark lighting and it inverts in a really smart way. Um, it just looks like the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, it feels like a newspaper. You know, it, it feels like old school. Like I thought New yeah. York Times the first time I saw it. But then the more I look at it, the more I'm like, no, actually, it feels like it feels like Boston's public library hmm. a little bit. Like it has that kind of it just has a stature to it. And the right. bookstore, I don't know if you ever went into the bookstore um, and not just through the search screen of the iOS 11 app. 
Uh, but the bookstore and the audio bookstore were just some of the most cramped, unfriendly, like felt so gross, especially compared to the new app store. Yep. It just, it was so crowded. Like you couldn't tell anything and like it was really hard to figure stuff out. And there were clearly smart collections being put together by the by the books crew, but you just couldn't read any like you, you you could not read anything in the in the reading store and this they've really they, it it feels much simpler in a way because everything's so big and bold and like you can see the covers and they've made these horizontal scrolls and all yep. of that but it doesn't like i've been comparing it to the ios 11 app and they're really they haven't lost any feature like parody like there's all of the stuff is still there it's just organized in a much more pleasant way yeah uh my big fear when they rushed through it in the keynote and they didn't really examine the app was um i remember thinking boy i hope this is like the new app store app and i hope it's not like the first version of apple music uh, oh yeah, and I would say it's exactly it. It is in terms of it, at least for me, and I know there were many others that the, at least the first version of Apple Music felt can I often felt lost. I often felt like, what am I looking at here? Is this my music? Is this just music I have access to? Am I am I in a store? <laughs> what? Where am I? I? I don't find that at all in the new books. It's like here's the stuff you're reading. Here's the stuff you own, right? Reading now, library. Then there's a bookstore, an audio bookstore, and then there's search. Like, Mm -hmm. boy, if those aren't the five sections that I want in the Apple Books app, I, I, I couldn't imagine a better selection. Yeah, it's a uh, it's really nicely organized. Yeah, and, and the one that I, f- I the one that I wouldn't have thought of before is the reading now, right? Because the old way yeah. was you had you had it, the old the old app was sort of organized like a coin, where on the one face was your library, and then and literally it even had an animation originally where it would just spin around, and then on the other side was the store. So it's like here's what you have, here's what you can get, and then you would just flip between the two. But, you know, mm-hmm. once you assemble more than a handful of books in your library, managing the ones you're actually, you know, currently reading, it wasn't great. And having a separate section for that is perfect. It's it's the digital equivalent of like the books on your bedside table versus the books that you have on your shelf. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. And it just it allows you so much more easily to actually find what you wanted to read. Yeah. All right. Let me take another break and thank our third and final sponsor of this episode of the show. Uh, it's our good friends at Trace Pontas. Uh, look, Trace Pontas Coffee. They sell freshly roasted gourmet coffee, and it is shipped directly to you. Their coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Um, look, this is a perfect gift for Father's Day. I think there's time. Maybe not. I don't know. But it could be, and, and certainly a good gift for people all times throughout the year. Um, think about it. If you know somebody who's a coffee lover in your life, it's a good gift. So keep it in mind, even if you don't listen to this episode quite in time for Father's Day. Um, every bag of beans that Trace Pontas ships to you has a roast date printed directly on it, so you know your fr- your coffee is fresh. So you might have heard of single origin coffee. Trace Pontas is a level higher. It's it's all of their coffee comes from a single family farm, from the Race family, uh, located near the town of Trace Pontas in Brazil. Uh, so they have one variety of bean. It's all grown on the same family farm, and the only difference is the roast pile profile you want. How much do you want it roasted? Do you want light, medium, dark, or French roast? Um, 
personally, I actually prefer the light. It's, I'm torn between the light and medium. Not really a dark or French rose person. Never have been. Um, but you get that option. And I know some people really like uh, overly roasted coffee. <laughs> uh, and here's the thing. They, they really do. They don't just like roast it, package it, seal it up, and then put it on shelves. And then it waits and it goes out to you. Like they really are... Uh, sending you when you order it they really do take the stuff that was shipped that or roasted that day and then that's what gets shipped to you um you know i have a subscription to this now and i've had ones where the date when it you know ding dong the package is at my house uh, and the the roast date was literally uh three days before um it's that it's that fresh and coffee really is a it's a perishable item it's more like a like a vegetable or a fruit or something like that than like a stable shelf item in my opinion, even though most supermarkets are filled <laughs> with coffee that's been roasted, you know, who knows, weeks or months ago. Um, it really does make a difference to me. Uh, you can get it pre-ground. Uh, I, of course, get whole bean coffee and grind it myself uh, to even further maximize the freshness. Uh, it's really great stuff. It is super convenient if you've never tried having a coffee subscription service. What you can do is you can get it like every week. You can get it every two weeks. You can get it every four weeks, depending on how fast you go through coffee. You know, like obviously like a, if you're buying it for an office or something like that, you might want to get a lot. If you're buying it and you're the only coffee drinker at home, uh, like I am, you know, once every two weeks is plenty to make coffee every day. Um, this is really good stuff from a single farm, certified non-GMO, certified kosher, uh, grown at over a thousand meter altitude, picked by hand, roasted by hand in small batches, and processed naturally, not washed. Uh, they buy coffee at prices paid above fair trade standards, so the farm workers who are doing this work receive high wages, and it helps their family and the whole community down there in Brazil, so you can feel good about that. So here's the thing. How do you find out more? You can go to Trace Pontas, T-R-E-S, Pontas, P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. Uh, and you can start with just, just – you don't have to start with a subscription. You can just get a 12-ounce bag to try it. Uh, and even easier, if you want, you can go to Amazon and just search for Trace Pontas. The, their coffee will be the first thing you see. And when you get it from Amazon, that's just the front end for the commerce. They still fulfill it themselves. So it's not like Amazon has a separate stash of uh, old stale coffee that they're shipping to you. You get the exact same shipment that you would get if you went right to the Trace Pontas website. And all orders in the USA get free shipping either from Trace Pontas website or from Amazon. I don't know how they do that, but that's 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 the fact. Um, so you can either get a subscription, you can get a single package, and listeners of the talk show can get an extra 10% off using the code THE TALK SHOW with the THE at checkout when buying a coffee subscription. So um, that means you would get an extra 10% off with a subscription with this code because the subscriptions are sold at a 10% discount. So every subscription, 10% off, use the code, the talk show, 10% off. And you, they're additive. You get 20% off. So my thanks to trace Pontas, uh, for making excellent coffee and for sponsoring this program. All right. We're two hours in. We still haven't gotten to the Mac. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't going to work. We're not going to get no. to all of this. <laughs> no, we're going to, um, we're going to have to speed run the rest of it. All right. Mac, OS 10.14 Mojave, 
First thing yeah. I'm going to say, dark mode. So I've got that installed. I put it on uh, – I'm not a nut. I did not install it on the main startup drive, but I put it on an external <laughs> USB drive and actually did it from default. I didn't, I didn't like upgrade an old image or something like that. I was like, give me the – you know, Interesting. Give me the, the – fa- native experience. Factory fresh. Uh, and I went dark mode. Uh, not I, – I don't, I don't really care for it. Uh, I can see why people yeah. like it. Uh, I know it was by far and away, this is baffling to me, by far and away the biggest applause line of the entire keynote was Mac OS dark mode. Uh, I find that using it system-wide, it is... Uh, and I'm somebody who has used BB Edit, my text editor of choice, in a dark mode for uh, somewhere... Most of, I would say, 95% of the time for the last... Uh, like 16, 17 years, uh, whenever it was that BB Edit first supported having a dark background and light colors. Uh, big fan of it for text editing. So I know why developers maybe wanted it. Um, but as a system-wide color, I, I find that it's really hard to see where windows overlap. Uh, and yeah. I found that tabs in Safari, it's really hard to tell. And part of this might be my somewhat declining eyesight. Uh, maybe I would feel differently, you know, 10, 10, 20 years ago when my, I had like perfect 2020 vision. Um, but I find it hard to see which tab is active in Safari. But a, the big one is just like overlapping windows. It, they all just look like one big black mass to me. And <laughs> I don't see the edge. And that's because like I, I was thinking about it. But like with the regular co- light, light background color scheme, you get these shadows that show you where the window borders are. And I've uh-huh. quite frankly have long wished for a, a you know, maybe I'll get it someday, but for a Mac OS 10 update that makes darker shadows that have less distance, mm. you know, they're a little bit closer. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, you know, and I could be wrong. Maybe that wouldn't look good, but anyway, but you, with, with the dark mode, there's no such thing as a light shadow, right? So there's no lighter shadow that indicates it. So you don't really have shadows to indicate the, the, tiling depth of windows and and to me oh yeah to me the way i work especially on my uh, imac 5k that's a huge part of the way i work and it really uh, you know on my 13 inch macbook pro it's less of an issue because i'm effectively close to full screen mode in just about every app i use um but even so what i usually do is have it open most of the way and then on the right side of the screen i have like a little bit of a twitter window sticking out but when i'm in dark Mm. mode it it you know, you don't really see that. No, it all just kind of blends together. I, I agree with you. I when I wasn't expecting to, because I love the dark toolbar and I tend to like darker windows and darker apps. But it really, I don't know if it's just that the highlight cult, like the the whitish gray, isn't the right shade, and it's just messing with my eyes a little bit. Yeah. But there's just something like, especially Safari is wigging me out. I think in part because I've. I've gotten used to Safari's dark window as being a private window, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, for yes, so long. Yes. So I'm like half voiging out. I'm like, did I open a private window? Like, am I searching in the right thing? Right. Maybe I haven't tried opening a private window in dark mode. Maybe it opens right. a white window. Right. Uh, but no, uh, no. What it does is it opens a dark window with a white URL bar. You know, the the, oh. the location field. Yeah, that's confusing. Uh, yeah, I just I I don't know I. 
understand why it took them so long to implement this because there yeah. are a lot of there are a lot of very specific UI decisions that you kind of have to make for this. And I really I appreciate the fact that like the dark changes as you like move it around certain backgrounds, like it does mm. take on some of the highlight colorations of whatever is behind it. But I just don't love it. I don't love it yeah. like I was expecting to. And I'm I, really shocked by that. And they say, you know, this is inspired by our pro users. It's meant for everybody, you know, this dark mode. And that pro users, you know, pro um, audio, video, you name it, tools for decades have had usually been a dark background on light with light text. Um, you know, and, and with your like editing video or your uh, yeah, editing photos, you know, it's obvious it's because it makes the actual content pop you know that the white background can really uh, with a glowing bright lcd screen or um you know it it can be distracting from the images but those yeah. the other thing about those apps is those apps um are usually run full screen or nearly full screen like that to me and i didn't really think about that uh uh and but I you think don't it, get the overlap, right. yeah. So what I kind of wish, after having played with this over the weekend and used it, is I really wish that I could apply this on a on an app by app basis. I would like to tell yes. I would like <laughs> to tell photos to run in dark mode uh, for those reasons. And the reason it is, I swear, it sounds like a little thing, and I I get why people applauded this, but it's the main thing. Year a couple of years ago, I switched from Lightroom to Photos, and you know, it, there's a ton of features I miss. I mean, I. It, you know, the tip of the iceberg. They're different apps. The They're different apps. But like on the surface, boy, oh boy, I just missed the way Lightroom looked. It mm -hmm. really felt like my photos popped so much more. Uh, it, you know, and I think there's a reason There's a reason why when you go into editing mode in photos, it switches to a dark mode. Well, I wish it was dark mode all the time, whether I was in editing mode or not. Um, but I get it. The, but those pro apps, like I said, like the thing that occurs to me is pro video editors. They're not running... the. Final Cut Pro 10 in a tiny little window overlap. You know, they're full screen. It would go crazy, yeah. Right. Uh, and then there's other things too, like you open a new text edit document and you've got all this dark everywhere and then you've got this bright white <laughs> text edit. Yeah. Right I don't, I can't deal with that. Yeah. Um, and honestly, it's why I don't like Safari in dark mode either is because yeah. it's just all of the, there's the beautiful dark toolbar and yeah. then there's so much white. It does look pretty though. I will say that. It does. So if you put your app Mac into what I would always call screenshot mode, like Apple, you know, like when Apple shows off a new version of Mac OS 10, it's always one window perfectly centered <laughs> with no <laughs> other, you know, and you could always see huge swaths of your beautiful desktop picture, you know, which I'm never in my, my computer is always covered with uh, you know hundreds of windows um when you only have one window open oh it looks cool as shit it definitely mm -hmm. looks cool but but when you have everything overlapped not so much yeah uh the marzipan apps uh so oh there's God. four <laughs> apps that are written with ios or that are that are ui kit app this is apple's name for it is <laughs> this mouthful <laughs> ui kit apps running on mac <laughs> news stocks home and voice memos uh, yeah. Oh, I don't. I don't like this. I don't. There's news and stocks seem mostly the same, and they're the ones that seem most more complete to me, and make more sense. But I think it's really weird on the Mac when you open an article and it doesn't open in your browser. It just opens right in the window you're in. Mm. It, it just feels unnatural to me. Uh, the home app, I, 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 it seemed broken. I couldn't even connect to my HomePods, <laughs> even though they. 
they did appear and they were listed and I could just use my iOS device and perfectly control them. But for some reason with the Mac, I mean, it's early, it's a beta. Yeah, I remember beta. (laughs) But I'll put a link to the show notes. There are some bizarre iOS style dialogue boxes in the home app that really look like an an iPhone app running in the simulator that I... I'm not down with this at all. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll put those links. I mean, in the hopefully, show. hopefully these things shake out, right? I'm I'm hopeful that early beta and also as third party developers get their hands on things, this will kind of smooth yeah. out a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it's been interesting to hear from people who currently develop iOS apps and like Electron apps, um, who are like, "Well, this is interesting, but also I still can't." develop for the PC and the Mac. So I'm still right. going to keep my Electron app. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. Like that's, <sighs> I, I said that at my live show last week. That's my hope is that, okay, you're not going to write a real Mac app, but you do have a web app and you do have an iOS app. And so if you're going to have to move one of those to the Mac, why not just you know move the iOS app? And I think that would be better. But the problem is yeah. if you still want to have a Windows app and whatever other desktop platforms like Chrome that you might want to cover, they might say, ah, we'll stick with Electron. I, yeah, I think it's still a, kind of a screech. I think maybe the best that we can hope for in practice won't be that companies that have big monolithic Electron apps that are oh, god-awful like uh, Slack and uh, the new Skype, to name two, that uh, I can't stand. Just are painful, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll go back to the drawing board and move their iOS apps over. But maybe as we move forward in the years to come, that future companies that haven't gone down the Electron Road yet for the Mac will go this way instead. So it, you know, don't think so much about rewriting current Electron Existing monstrosities, apps. but maybe as we go forward you know, and new companies come out. Like these I'm gonna cross my fingers and hope for it. Yeah, a bird, bird for the Mac. <laughs> I thought the and the voice memos app, unless I'm missing something, is just a, a unbelievably unfinished. Like it, it really buggy as hell and confusing. So I, I don't even want to talk about it because I'm just gonna assume that this isn't even close to what it's gonna ship as. It's it's a beta, and also yeah. I mean, voice memos has never been particularly fancy on <laughs> iOS to begin with. Right. Like I'm I'm kind of assuming that they're going to smooth it all over. Really the only right. thing I care about is that it'll eventually have iCloud syncing and I yeah. can move my voice memos from my iPhone to my Mac without anything crazy. Uh, all right, TVOS. They didn't really announce anything for TVOS. <laughs> no. S- skip. No. Yeah, it's like sorry. Right. Sorry developers. <laughs> All we're going to yeah. do is talk about uh, the things you can get if you're using this one internet <laughs> provider called Spectrum, <laughs> which oh. I've only ever heard of like two weeks ago. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's probably in like New York and L.A. and that's right. it. And then here we go. We've got to wrap up, but we can talk yeah. about watchOS 5 for a minute or two. Uh, the walkie-talkie feature, not working yet. Wasn't not working really, yet. Wasn't really even working in demos. <laughs> 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 uh, but I think could be really useful. I could really imagine this as uh, as like the ideal, like Jonas is upstairs in his bedroom playing video games and I want to tell him it's time for, you know, time to come down for dinner. This mm-hmm. seems like the way to do it. Like a walkie-talkie call seems like uh, a really lightweight way. And my analogy would be that the walkie-talkie calls feel like they are to a phone call what a text message is to an email. Yes, Right, an email. I 100% agree. An email is formal. You have a subject line, and you put your signature at the end of it. Uh, you know, and a text is just a text. 
Well, I really love the idea um, from a business perspective, honestly. Like, I'm thinking about it in, like, not necessarily hospitals, but in areas where, like, you need to quickly check up on something. And, like, in the past, like, I might send an email, and that would take forever. Uh, And I might send a text to somebody I know really well. But that also might, you know, I feel like this is the more urgent version of a text that Mm -hmm. isn't going to get lost in your email box. Right. Where it's just like, hey, can you talk right this second? Yeah, I can talk right this second. Hey, uh, is this still this? And then you're like, yep, yep, that's it. And then you've saved yourself the trip of like walking over to their office or whatever. Right. All right. That's a wrap. I thank you for your time, Serenity. Uh, That was a pretty good wrap up of WWDC. Uh, Yeah. It was good seeing you. Uh, good talking to you. Everybody, Likewise. Everybody can read uh, Serenity's uh, fine work at imore.com, and they can catch her on Twitter as at Setern, S-E-T-T-E-R-N. Thank you.